Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of The Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful. And at the time of recording, very foggy British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. Is it foggy out in your neck of the woods? Uh, I haven't looked outside in a little while, but it oh. was... It, it was foggy it. here last night, and then, yeah, we've got bad fog again. I, I, I do love the fog. It makes me feel I've been transported to Victorian London, and that Jack the Ripper is running around, and that there's just folk shouting guardy as they throw their shit from windows. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means. Oh, it's guardy is a phrase that they used to say, I think, throughout Scotland, definitely in Edinburgh. So before there was inside toilets, people used to, like, shit in a bucket, pee in a bucket, and then they would throw it out of their window into the streets below, and for anyone walking by, they would shout, Gardy Lou! And then throw it out the window. So if you heard Gardy Lou, you knew to look up and get out of the way. How many times have I regretted asking you for? Interestingly, um, for explanations of things. We we have a song coming up later from Word from his new album, and there's a song on that new album called Gardy Lou. I'll play that in a future episode. But yeah, the AFD and Soccer Show always educational. How's your week been? Uh yeah, quite quite full. Um, F- full of yeah. hope. Yeah, full of hope. I was in Hope this weekend, which was great. Hey, how's she doing? Haven't spoken to her for a while. Oh, Michael. We're, we're off to a fantastic start. Why, Michael? Why? <laughs> no, really, really, yeah, it was a really good, meaningful weekend. Um, I've just had a, a fairly quiet week. Thankfully, things have died down for me. Um, did I, And these five podcasts where I seem to annoy every single person connected with the club because I was just having a go at everyone as a bitter, grumpy old man. It sounds so much un- so so unlike you. Yeah, it, it's, it's been amazing feedback. The club hate us. The supporters trust hate us. Wait, hate your podcast? <laughs> well, we were very critical of everyone. Calling for a managerial change, the board to resign, 
the trust that's trying to buy the club to actually come up with decent ideas. Michael McCall, enemy number one at Bayview. Oh, that that's been the case since the fanzine started in 1989. Is the do they still have your ad up there? Didn't they have your ad for Glory Days of Gold? Oh no, they do. Yeah, it's also yeah. <laughs> I, ironically when they speak to the manager after the game. Glory Days of Gold is one of the things on the board as the sponsors behind him. The podcast that's calling for him to be sacked right now. <laughs> Listen to the podcast and hear what we think of Greg McDonald. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. We won't talk about East Fife too much in the show. I do want to talk about the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. I have been watching that. And we're mostly going to talk in the first two parts about the state of the Canadian national team after a horrendous week for the men against Jamaica. Not all of their own accord either. Or maybe it was actually. Some of it, I guess, probably was of their own making and downfall. I do want to talk, though, uh, about one particular player in the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. Claudio Echeverri, 17-year-old Argentina player, mm-hmm. who is being hailed as the new Messi. I've watched a couple of the Argentina games. They lost their opener, you may remember, to Iran. Mm -hmm. And now they're in the semi-finals after beating Brazil 3-0 in the quarterfinals. The the holders, the holders, Brazil. Yeah, Echeverri got a hat-trick. Yes, he did. I I was watching that game and I was just thinking about him because he's such a good player. He plays for River Plate. He's linked with like Real Madrid, Man City. All these top teams are already looking at him. And he wears a number 10 jersey. And I had just thought, what pressure is that to put on a kid mm-hmm. coming through to be wearing the number that Messi and Maradona wore? And then he went and hit a hat trick. It's like, oh, well, he's up for that pressure. Yeah, the first goal was deflected, but it was still a good build-up. The, the second goal was quite quality, the way he went between the two defenders and kept his head. I thought the Brazilian keeper didn't look great on that one. And, oh, and the third one was when he rounded the keeper. Again, the Brazilian keeper did not look good on that. Brazil in general did not look good. Brazil, at all levels right now, are not looking great. One of their they players are struggling is- in World Cup qualifying as well. They're sixth in the ball right now. One of their players is called Dudu on that team, though. So yeah. I remember doing a top 10 list of players that Toronto FC could sign. Dudu would have fitted in that list. (laughs) Because I had players like Raphael Scheidt that was playing for Celtic at the time. Oh, Michael. I should dig that back out again. I haven't done a top 10 list for a while on the site. I I should definitely do that. Do do Canada have a 17-year-old wonder kid coming through? Uh, yeah, his name is uh, TJ Tahid. Oh, he's not even 17, is he? 16, isn't he? Yeah, I guess he might be because, obviously, well, in the next part, we'll chat a little bit about Canada, who bounced out at the group stages. But in this part, we're going to talk about the Canadian men's national team. They, as things currently stand, are not going to cope at America. But there's still hope. There's still one more chance for them to get there because a stunning two-leg defeat by Jamaica. This show's going to be marked explicit because of the songs in it at the best oh, of times. Really? Yeah. Um, any any song that has a, just a swear word in it, I just mark it explicit just to be on the safe side. So because of that, the floodgates are open. 
What the fuck happened in Toronto on Tuesday night, Zach? Well, before you get to that, you have to talk about, like, this was like double history. Canada has never well, never won a Well, yeah, let's talk game. about the first leg, the good leg. Well, they, that's the thing, though. I, I, I felt like their performance in the first leg was, the, the performance on the whole wasn't great, but it was... It was impressive that despite the performance not being amazing, they got the job done. Yes. 2-1 um, win. Yeah. And left it um, late. Laren, Laren with a nice getting to the, the byline, cutting across for Dave, a David tap in. Richie Larea doing a yeah, similar got, thing. Got the assist to Stacchio in the Stacchio. 85th minute winner. So good. So, you know. First win in Jamaica since 1988. Oh, since '88, so not all, not ever. No, for some reason I thought it was. I thought I heard it was. No, ever. F- first one since '88. So historic in that sense, because that's what twenty-five years. No, thirty-five years. Yeah, you're way off. It's like it's thirty-five years, right? Time, time flies. Yeah, yeah, thirty-five. Okay, so thirty-five years, and then, but that was Jamaica's first ever win in Toronto, wasn't it? Yes. Now, I've been there for a Jamaica tie in two thousand eight or something. And the, the home the home crowd enjoyed it. Yeah, there was a number of Jamaicans, but there was less Jamaicans there now than. No, I know in the past it's been really. What was the crowd bad. too? The crowd there was the crowd. It I don't know actually. I don't remember actually seeing it. it. Let me see. It, was, it wasn't great. It. I think it was seventeen. I think. I was surprised that but, it wasn't I mean, a sellout for such a an important game. Well, they didn't even open up the upper part. No, that was when I saw that. It, I was like, Whoa. it was too. I mean, I again. I'm not trying to make excuses for people in Southern Ontario, but it, I mean, it's it's a it's cold, man. Yeah. I mean, the world we we went to lots of World Cup qualifying games in the cold. Um, but, Seventeen thousand five hundred eighty-eight. Yeah. So, not great. But um, also, it was uh, a Tuesday night. The the cold, but I also think I don't know. I I didn't check for this one. But outside the V section, I, again, I think they're still charging way too much. For, 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 from what I, I think, remember. from what I saw, it was better priced. Yeah, because it wasn't a World Cup qualifier, yeah. right? It was, yeah, Nations League. But still, I think they're they they have been trying to say, "Hey, the team's been so good and done so great. We're going to therefore going to charge more." Where it still feels like it's a let's get people in the in the building to experience this so that they'll keep coming back i mean i I, I, again i I say that not in any way to um speak disparagingly about the you know those who turned up or whatever like i this is i mean even i mean christine sinclair is going to have her last ever national team game and it's not sold out yet right and we're no yeah last i heard it was thirty-seven thousand. and it was 35 the last official announcement that they've made i think it's i think it's gone up to 37 from what i heard it looks like it's going to be a nice dry night, so you would hope there's going to be a lot of walk-ups because there's going to be a... Oh, no, wait a minute, I'm thinking about this. That's this <laughs> Tuesday. About this Tuesday, yeah. No, next week is rainy. Oh, is it? Yeah. No, I haven't looked that far. Like, from Friday onwards, it looks like it's going to rain non-stop. Oh, that's brutal. i got to make sure to pack for Victoria appropriately. Oh, of course. Because I guess the Voyager section's in the open bit behind the goal yeah for some reason the v section is the lakeside boy section which is the absolute worst place it could possibly be yeah. no, no roof Oof. yeah yeah that could be tough 
Back to this one, though. I mean, that. And that one is sold out, but it's only oh, yeah. 5,000, yeah. 6,000, whatever. The, the game in Jamaica, it was quite a veteran laden squad. Well, in general, the squad was veteran laden, but the ones that saw the pitch were. Uh, it's like Moro Biello was like, I know these guys, they've been there, they've done it, it's a huge game, they need to get the job done. And the, the job was half done because they got that lead, they got the two away goals, and you're like, yeah, I thought they're home and dry. So did I. Yeah. Sadly, so did the players. And yeah. I think that's part of the issue. Because, like, even in the second game, Canada dominated that first half. It was an incredible. It was incredible, an incredible performance in that. It first was. Half. They were and, like playing some lovely football. They were moving the ball well. Fonzie gave them their lead in the twenty-fifth minute, and you thought, oh, that's it. There's no looking back now." Well, but yeah, the only thing you can say about the first half is their finishing let them down. They should have been up by two or three goals at yeah. least. Yeah, and that's then come back to cost them. And just to read a, a quote, post-game quote from Milan Borian. Yeah, he was pretty honest. Yeah, but I, I admire that. Now, Milan's got a bit of abuse coming out of this game. I, we'll get to something that he did that I didn't like, but yep. he is not the reason that they lost this game. So folk need to rein that back a little bit in a guy that's been a good servant for for his country. Well, I oh, I don't I'm not for I don't yeah I don't think you can hugely criticize him. I think I think I think it's fair to say that it would have it could have been a good time to transition to Maxime Kripo. Yeah, and we'll be talking about Max later on in this show for his outstanding performance tonight for LAFC. A performance that has shown what Canada mm. could be having in the future. And with him and Dane St. Clair, exciting in the goalkeeping department. But Milan, after the game, said, We had everything in our hands. We came in the second half thinking everything was going to be easy. This is unacceptable. This team, to have players like that and do something like this, it's not acceptable. And it's not. And that's brutally honest. And it's great to hear that. But he should also held his hand up. I mean, can we talk about his little? Yeah, like that was that was crazy. The the keepy uppy. I'm sure everyone listening to this has seen it. But just before Jamaica equalised on the night, the ball comes back to Borian, and he does some little keepy uppies in the box, and the he fans juggles are it about it up. about only about three times. Yeah, but. You're, it's an you're arrogance. Asking, yeah, you're asking for it from the other team yeah. if you do that. Because I was pissed off as a Canadian supporter seeing him doing that. If you're a Jamaican player, you're like, oh, you're going to take the piss. You think yeah. this is over. You think that this is done. Yeah. We're going to show you. And Jamaica, to their huge credit, brought that fight in that last half hour. Mm -hmm. They were excellent. They only managed five shots on target in the whole game, and three of them ended up in the back of the net. Well, it, it should be said that and the uh, former former Bundesliga player Leon Bailey, Bailey should have scored in the first half, and he yeah. probably should have scored once or twice in the first leg. Yeah, because uh, they, they hit the woodwork in the first leg as well. Yeah. 
but what was it within 30 to 40 seconds after Borian doing the keepy uppy maybe a bit longer the ball's in the back of the net and he's picking it out but he's not at fault for that goal you, you can rag on him for doing the keepy uppies and it being disrespectful and everything but Shamar Nicholson pounces on a horrible giveaway that again does this come down to Canada thinking the job was done and then just being too lackadaisical I think so it felt like that but see you hear or you read Milan's quote and the questions immediately that come into my mind is if he's saying we came into the second half thinking everything was going to be easy that is on the coach in a in a in a way, no, but but also but the I, senior I, players to yeah, not I, have that mindset. I think Morrow can be criticized for some things in this match. I don't think that's one. There's no way Michael Morrow went in at halftime and said, "Okay, let's, we job done. We can take it easy second half. Save yourself." No, but how much did he say you can't take your like? We'll never know. You can't take your your foot off the I'm, the gas. I'm sure you we'll can't know. do this. You can't do that. I'm pretty sure we'll find out. Um. And we probably won't be able to say who, how we found it, but, but I'm sure we'll find out. Yeah, I'm there's sure no, we could ask no, a couple of folk. There's no way that they, there's, there's no way that he didn't say things like, "Hey, we got to keep going." Hey, all those chances you created, we need to bury a couple of them. Is that like? I mean, Biello after the game said, "For us, there's no excuse for some of those performances in the second half. We did the hard part over there." Then we shot ourselves in the foot. We weren't able to be strong enough to hold them off. Because once Jamaica got the wind behind them, they were just rampant. And they were just launching attack, attack, attack. But at the same time, Canada self-destructed. But there's also, I mean, there's things we need to talk about. There's second and third goals, no? Yes, but also the substitutions. Yeah, but... But, yeah, yeah like the, the second Jamaica goal... That's a foul on Connie, no? I mean, you got to play the whistle. I think it is. But it's a foul. I think it is. It's a foul. It's a tug back. And this is why VAR exists. Yeah. Again, it was a failure of VAR, in my my opinion. Um, I was was performance, But I mean, I'm not a Canadian. So I can kind of be unbiased. Or can I? I don't know. I was looking at it and I was like, I mean, it's a foul. And then I was like, can I see why it wasn't given? No, (laughs) I can't see why it wasn't given. Hence, hence it it seems that it's clear and obviously a foul Mm -hmm. and should be looked at. Well, we know it was looked at by VAR, but it should be brought to the referee's attention as something he should be double-checking. The the only thing I, I can think of, and again, I'm making excuses for the referees here, but the only thing I can think of is they watched it and they thought... Was it a strong enough tug that would send him crashing to the deck like that? I think, yeah. But, but thing, it doesn't. It, it doesn't matter of like the effect of the foul. If it's a foul, it's a foul. It's, you know def- I mean? like, it's a definite pull back. Yeah, because it doesn't matter if I kick you in the leg. It doesn't matter if you go down. I kicked you in the leg. Mm. And so it doesn't matter if you embellish or if you yell or scream or roll. If I kicked you in the leg, it's a foul. You know, if you get pulled back, it doesn't matter if you you go down dramatically or go down hard or go down soft. It's a foul. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But 
from Jamaica's point of view, the quickness that they went from back to front to goal was very impressive. And we just had no answer for it. Yeah, and from for Canada, we all everyone's talked about this for a long time. But yeah, the concerns with where we're at right now don't for, do not uh, aside from the maybe lack of more finishing in the first half or in the uh, yeah in the first half. Um, the big concern is the defense. And yeah, I mean, a lot uh, of what we're pointing pick, uh, pointing fingers at Lorea for not getting back quick enough. I just think it happened in such a. I'm not just defending him because he's a current white cap. It was a. It was a. It was a quick counterattack. It was such such a quick counter. He got back. It just caught everyone out, because I think they all thought it was going to be a foul. Yep. And they stopped, which you can't do. Yep. But at the same time, defensively, well, they, they can be, got to be for that, so yeah. much better. All round, not just Richie. Yeah. But then. You're like, oh, it's game on now. We're level on aggregate. It's up for grabs. But three minutes later, Coney puts it away. And again, you thought, it's job done. done. Yeah. Good good fight from the I team. I wasn't as confident, but I was like, no. I think that's but job done now. <laughs> good job from the team to show that, like, uh, you know, will and determination. Good job from Coney to say, hey, he was involved in the goal, whether... I mean, ultimately, it's not a foul because it wasn't called a foul, even though we all know it was a foul. Um, but he, you know, picks himself up, has a really nice header off the of that set play to equalize. And yeah. he and he is, it's quite encouraging to uh, just continue to see him grow because he was huge at the end of qualifying and, and at the World Cup itself, and now. Um, yeah, now it seems like he continues to progress. That's certainly one of the bright things that I think we can see from from this game is he looked good. Mm-hmm. We've got to talk about the substitutions, though, because what what do you think Biello was was trying to do with those subs? I think that um, I might get the order of these wrong, but I think. I think he was trying to say, okay, we set out to go, 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 all all out attack, all out offense. Let's kill the game in the first half. We didn't quite get there. Um, they've made the they've they've uh, you know drawn level in the game, gone ahead. We've equalized. I think that they, I think he, need, he felt they needed to bring on some more defensively sound players or players who are going to be less go, go, go. Also some players who would hold possession a little bit more, like a player like Osorio, I think uh, is really yeah. great at maintaining possession. Because the, uh, the three that came off were Buchanan, Kone, and Larn. And the what, three minute that came was, on, what, what minute was that again? Uh, 74th. So this is when it's 2-2? Five, five minutes after it got to 2-2. Right. So yeah, and I think... Four minutes before they yeah. were behind. So I think I think that's what he I think that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, because the ones that came on were Hoylet, Mark Anthony Kay, and Jonathan Osorio. Now yeah. Osorio made sense, and I, I could see you making some of those. I don't know that you would take Laren, Coney, and Buchanan off all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I, I think like Hoylet's coming on, who's just woefully out of form. So Marl gets criticized for not changing things up too much on the whole. 
for yeah. sticking with Borean or essentially a, a similar starting to eleven to what we've seen before, and he gets criticized for these these substitutions. I, I, I yeah, I, I I only of those three things, I only really maybe fault him for one and a half. I think yeah, maybe the substitutions could have been held done differently, and I probably would have started Crepo ahead of Borean in both games. I saw a lot of folk, they weren't happy that Key was one of the, the players that came on. A lot of yeah. folk thought that if Ali Ahmed came on, you would have had a, just a, a bright spark. Was it a case that at this point, he was like, I, I, I just can't, I have to have experienced guys on there yeah. because we're just in such a dangerous situation right now? Oh, totally. I think that's a huge part of it. I think part of the Key hate too is not just from, let's say... no. West Coast fans saying we want to see our guy. I think it was a lot of you know how his time ended in Toronto and um, yeah that kind of stuff. Plus he was sent off. Uh, it was against Jamaica before, wasn't it? In the World Cup qualifying, was that the the, the game four nil? Yeah, um, I don't know. He had the kick out. I can't hmm. remember now. But the other one as well. For were wondering why Sam could be played the first leg and not this one. Yeah, he's still got. He's a got recovering, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is why you're not going to risk that. So, I mean, that that makes total sense for me. But then we came to the decisive moment, and we haven't spoken about this, so I genuinely don't know your thoughts on it. Do you think it was a penalty? Uh, I think it was harsh. I, I think in isolation, I could I could live with it, but coupling it with the, the Kone one makes it hard to take, I think. For me, it was. I think it was a penalty. Uh, as soon as I saw it in the replay, I was like, oh, that's definitely a penalty. With the new rules, there's just no room for error. You can say, oh, he's trying to pull his arm away or whatever. It's like once it's given on the pitch, that's not getting overturned. Yeah, and so I could, I can see, like I can concede that. But again, I think it's the fact that the Coney one wasn't given... Yeah, just that makes it annoying. It's just, as it's uh, yeah, turning I, away, it's deflecting the ball away from possibly setting up a chance or... I think for so many Canadians, though, the, them them together just feel, it's like negative, nostalgic, you know, for being concacaf Yeah. Maybe right, even like, though when they scored, it's like, I still thought Canada were going to go and get a third. Yeah. Although you were like, because of the subs, you're like, oh no. Yeah, and then they took Johnston off and they did have the man advantage for the last six minutes and the yes. mass of stoppage time when yeah. Gray got sent off. Now, I thought this was harsh from a Jamaican point of view. By the letter of the law, he wasn't... I, I mean, I haven't seen otherwise, but he was sent off because he hadn't been given permission for coming back on. Oh, yeah. You got the second yellow. Now, that to me is harsh. Was it? The, did he also kick the ball away on the play? He got the first one was for kicking the ball away. Right, right. Then he went down injured, and then came on. The ref hadn't said he could come on, and they get sent off. I think I've talked about this many moons ago, but I was once help helping coach a is it VMSL or uh, Fraser Valley Soccer League side uh, at some I can't remember what level, but it was some some buddies had asked me to come and help them out. And, uh, yeah, we had a guy who had to change his boots or something, came off, and then, yeah, he went back on. He, he had a yellow straight away. And I, and I think at that time, I don't even think I knew that law of the game. 
And the referee's like, yeah, you can't do this. You're you're booked, blah, blah, blah. And I remember having some clarif- clarifying uh, conversations about it later, later and looking it up. But yeah, it is a, it's a standard rule. And it's something a professional like Gray should know. He should know. Uh, so Maybe in that sense, I, in that sense, I don't, I don't know, but no, I don't think. I, well, I don't think it was miscommunication. I, I but yeah, I, and so in that sense, I don't think it was harsh. I think it was uh, those are the laws of the game, and he screwed up. But the end result: Jamaica wins three two. Jamaica. I mean, I I've been so focused on the the Copa America qualification that I hadn't even thought of the Nations League aspect that the. Jamaica's now through to the semi-finals of that, and Canada's not. Yeah, it, it's a double, it's a double whammy, right? Because, uh, or sorry, I guess potential double whammy. Not only do you miss out on qualifying now, you have one game. It's only one game to make yeah, it. Yeah, right? so you've got so one, one game less. One game now is a warm-up. Exactly. So if they had if they had won their semi-final game, they're in the final, and we do need games. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean. They're playing two teams in the one-off game, <laughs> so I mean you've you've got that. I mean Trinidad and Tobago, one of them's going to upset Canada. You have to feel classic, Michael. It's the old tropes in this show, but yeah, we'll talk in the next part whether Bielo is the man to lead the team into that, and if not, who might be. But just to talk about the other Nations League quarterfinals, did you watch? No, Other I, oh, yeah. I haven't right. watched anything. I've heard results, but I have not watched any of the games. So, the US lost to Trinidad and Tobago, but won overall. Did you see Dest sending off? Uh, no, I heard about Talking it. Talking about kicking balls away. Yeah, I heard about. I heard he threw a tantrum or something. Yeah, kicked the ball away, gets a yellow card, swears clearly at the referee by putting his hand over his mouth like this so that the folk at home can't see it. But you're just doing it to the referee, you asshole. Yeah. It's like, what do you think's going to happen? And then his teammates were like furious with him. And as he's making, because the commentator, the, the the pictures didn't show the second yellow and the red being shown. So the commentator thought that the his teammates were just ushering him off the pitch to calm him down. And then he suddenly clicks. I think he's been sent off here. But like Matt Turner and I can't remember who the other ones were, they were having a right go at him as he walked off. And he was giving it back. He was like not giving any shits. Absolute uh, disgrace. He uh, apologised, but... He's a player who like... Well, he went to Barcelona, right? And you're like, this. what is this guy? It was, it was Barcelona, yeah. it was, right? Yeah. Mm, and then... He, possibly? He, yeah, I'm pretty Check sure it was. Yeah, he went to Barcelona. He was not. He was not up to, up to being a Barcelona player. And I, I don't oh know. yeah, oh yeah. He's, always... he's, with, he's with Eindhoven now on loan from Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He, he it was petulant and it was ridiculous. And um, it would be interesting to see, yeah, what that means for for them or what that means for him. I mean, he's a very pacey um, fullback who. You know, back in the day, has even uh, kind of put Alfonso Davies in check in in games against Canada, but he, um, yeah, he's not. Uh, I don't think he's quite at the level that he maybe thinks he is, which is the case for a lot of footballers. But. Yeah, 
I mean, it, it's hard to really gauge what kind of a test Trinidad and Tobago is going to be for Canada from that one because they were playing up a man yeah. for so long. They did lose the first leg 3-0 to the US, 4-2 in aggregate. But this game's going to be in Texas, where, again, it's not ideal conditions for Canada. Everything's bigger in Texas, yeah. Michael. I mean, you would think Canada's going to go through in this one-off game, book their spot in Copa America. But now, you can't be 100% certain. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, it would be really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. If, if Canada does not win against Trinidad and Tobago. I think, judging by the online meltdown after the Jamaica defeat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This, okay. Let's talk about this briefly. I mean, um, is this extremely disappointing? Yes. Is this a result that uh, the, a squad of this strength should suffer? No. Is it been a while since Canada's. Won some important uh, string of games. Yes, is this like the end of the world? Sky is falling. Get rid of you know, burn everything to the ground. No, and I, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised at part of it, but I'm a little bit surprised at some of the reaction I, I saw online from people who have been in the community for a long time and like should know better and be less reactionary and whatever. Like I was, yeah. And then some, yeah. I don't know. Some people are. I, I, I know some I, people I are tired it. because. It's a bigger, there's more stuff going on. Oh, well, yeah. Thing I think it's just, the feeling is we turned the corner and we're just being held to a higher level now because we've made a World Cup. We've, ha we've talked so much about the golden generation and the golden generation has to deliver and the feeling is they haven't. So it's like, is this on the players? Is this on the coaching? Is it on the tactics? Is it everything? And we'll get into that a little bit in the next part. But I get it because it's 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 unacceptable. That said, I thought Jamaica did everything they needed to do and they, they were excellent for that last half hour and they got the results, so full credit to them. And there was nearly a couple of other up upsets. I, I watched the second leg. I'd recorded it on one sock and just fast-forwarded through. But Panama, Costa Rica... 6-1 in aggregate, Costa Rica are a shadow of their former selves. Yeah. They just do not look the Costa Rica old. I'd have been a lot more confident if Canada were playing Costa Rica for the chance to go to Copa America. Mm. Which is crazy, considering yeah. how good Costa Rica's been. But Panama destroyed them. And we'll touch a little bit on Panama in the next part. Yeah, the last game in a good way right now. Yeah. Honduras won the first leg at home to Mexico 2-0, lost the second leg 2-0, lost on penalties. Yeah. Did you see any of this? No, I heard, again, I wow. heard a bunch of it. I, like, I know Honduras with all the legacy and folk, it's all fuck Honduras and everything like that, the hashtags. I felt for Honduras in this one, they got they got so concacaft. Yes, that's what I heard. I was, I messaged Felipe and I said, this has a feeling that the ref's just going to play until Mexico equalise because they'd added nine minutes of stoppage time on. And I sent Felipe that about three minutes into stoppage time. Mexico scored 11 minutes into stoppage time. Now, there was a little bit of game management 
by Honduras as you would expect in stoppage time. What? But, but it's like it just looked so bad, and it you just knew it was coming. There was no score in extra time, so then it went to penalties, and. Although this sounds, again, like it's CONCACAF in play, it was the right decisions, but Pineda got to take his penalty three times. Because the oh. first two times, the Honduran keeper saved it, but had just come off his line. Yeah, that's... I mean, he had come off it, but it's like, it just looked so... That seems oh, less dodgy. That seems, that seems less dodgy than the yeah. 11 minutes, maybe, but... But it was like, oh, just batshit crazy. There was that... There was a weird were you, were you watching, shootout as well were you watch, on the under seventeens. Were you watching on one soccer? Um, not the Mexico game, no, because it wasn't on one soccer. I, oh. I, I was watching on my VPN on Concacaf's YouTube channel, and then it looked like Mexico were going out, and then they took the stream down <laughs> in the eighty-eighth minute. So I was scrambling to find some stream somewhere. It just always seemed so like, what the hell's going on here? That's really funny. Ah, that was an interesting set of games. Of course, it's led to some big, tough questions getting asked of Canada, the CSA, the management team, and a lot more. And we'll be back chatting about some of that after this. Hi, I'm Sam Adekubi, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's one of our two Artists of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November from Glasgow, Scotland. It's the Yummy Fur with a song taken from their last studio album, Sexy World. 
1998, the song The Ballad of Piggy Wings. And their greatest hits album that came out in 2019 was called Piggy Wings. And fun fact, Piggy Wings was my original online name before I even went under Goff. I went with Piggy Wings because I liked the song. It was 1998 and I met Caitlin under the name Piggy Wings. So it holds a special place in my heart. And do you know, it's quite apt because it feels like pigs can fly before (laughs) Canada has a chance of doing well on the international stage. That's how it feels to many after that Jamaican loss. Here's a question for you to kick this part off. Moro Biello. You mm. you said how excited you told yeah. him to his face on I a did. call. How excited you were for him to have this opportunity and you looked forward yeah. to him maybe leading the team into Do next it, year. I believe I said doing his utmost. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel uh, he's done his utmost? And do you feel he is the man to lead the national team into 2024? Uh, I... Uh... Well, first off, you didn't like it enough to, to put it in the clip from that show. No, you <laughs> were fanboying. It, it was too awkward for you, you said. Uh, no, I... We finally I, get to ask co- questions on the main <laughs> calls, and you're I like, oh, was, Myro, I love you, man. I did oh, not the- say that. I did not say that. I said, it's... I, I, Give me I'm a hug. It. No, I didn't. <laughs> you're hilarious. No, I said, it's, you know, I would... What did I say? I said... Oh, I will actually no hang on. I will tell you. I will tell you what I said. Uh, uh, I, I, Mauro, I just want to read you this prepared statement that I've had well, since I Japan. It, I, I wrote it down because originally I was going to say we were on the Japan call, and I thought, oh, no one's going to be on the Japan call. Yeah, at, at one thirty in the morning. No, no one was. Exactly. But we still didn't get to ask a question. I said to him, as someone who had the privilege of watching you as a player even though I was supporting your opponents and then following your coaching career from a distance and more closely over the past five, five and a half years. I just want to say congratulations on becoming coach of our national team. It is great to have a Canadian in the role and all the best as you do your utmost to secure the position for the long term. And I still, yeah, I, I stand by that. I would love to see Morrow succeed in this. I, to answer your question, I don't think he's going to be given that opportunity. Uh, and I think, sure, it might be partly based on what happened against Jamaica, but I think it's more so uh, going to be based on the CSA or some within the CSA feeling like they need to bring in someone who is a recognized name um, within the footballing world and that Canada can afford <laughs> Well, yes, because that seems to be one of the the big things. Because there was reports uh, coming out down in Panama that apparently the current P- Panama manager, Thomas Christensen, he's a candidate for the Canadian job. The he, He's Danish, although he did play internationally with Spain. But he's the, the current manager of Panama. And... In the last year, he's led them to some of the the best footballing moments, I I guess, in their history. After a a bit of a slow start, it has to be said. But then he got them to the semi-finals at the Gold Cup. It was a a win over the US. 
and then a loss to Mexico in the final. But I think the general feeling is that they've been playing some really nice football under Christensen, and they're on a very much upward trajectory. Yeah, I don't I don't know much about him other than the fact that he uh, he played in the Bundesliga a little bit <laughs> uh, for Bochum in Hanover, or, mm. or played, played in German football. Well, he's been in charge of Panama since 2020. Right, yeah. He was at, Le- he he was at, Le- he was at Leeds United. Yeah, he hasn't really won anything. He's won one cup in his managerial career. So, I mean, well, he, he almost- hasn't won anything, but he has, he knows CONCACAF, not that that's overly important when you're the, the host country in the next World Cup, but he knows CONCACAF, and he's done well with that group of Panamanian players. And I, I like the idea of it. I think he would be a great appointment. I think he would bring respect. There's there's another name that uh, Asa well, Raymond wanted us been, to put forward. Wait, he, he scored a bunch of goals. I didn't realize how many goals. He, oh, he, he, was, he was a good player. He was a joint top scorer with Giovanni Elber of the Bundesliga in 20... Was it 2001 or 2002? Was it... Um, He's yeah, bit, in the early, early 2000s. I bit I, past it, though, to be pulled on the red and white, though. No, I know. I'm just... Uh, I just... I, I, can't, I can't believe I didn't... I didn't recognize his face more when I saw his photo. I, th- I think it would be a good appointment. When you're looking at who it could be or who the next manager should be, like, my heart says someone like Bobby Smyrniotis. Mm. But, realistically, that's a big risk to give somebody that's never had experience at international level the reins going into a very crucial period when you're going to be a host nation in a World Cup. So I feel it has to be somebody that has international experience, has performed well at the international level, and can probably manage some of the egos that are going to be in the team as well. And I, th- I think I think Christensen is a is a is a compelling choice. So I I'd kind of said who 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 would you want to be a, as as national team manager? And there's not a lot of names getting thrown out there. Issa Raymond wants us to mention his suggestion, which when I looked into it, would it's an interesting one. He's 59 years old now, but it's Dutchman John Vant Ship. He was born in BC. He was born here. His family moved back to the Netherlands when he was nine. He's the current interim manager of Ajax, where he's undefeated with three wins and a draw in the first four league games there, after them having a terrible start to the season. He has managed internationally with Greece, and he was an assistant as well with the, the Dutch national team. 59, I don't know, is that maybe a bit old? Is that a good age for then taking it to the World Cup? But he's with a big club like Ajax. It's a great opportunity for him there. Would he even be interested? I mean, it sounds intriguing. I mean, to be honest, I, I, both these characters, uh, Christensen and Van Ship, uh, sorry, Van Ship, um or vent ship uh i i don't think they don't do they really move the needle in terms of like their name like their 
I guess they're, they're affordable. Is that, is that important? Oh, well, actually going back to that, apparently the rumours as well is if Christensen took it, he'd have to take a pay cut of about 50% from what he's getting with Panama, which if that is the case, he's never going to do it. But oh, yeah. can that be right? We're going to be paying 50% less than Panama for a head coach well, when I, we're I going just... into a World Cup as a host. I don't know what they paid Herdman, but I have a feeling like they paid him a lot because yeah, it, because it feels like as soon as he was gone, they had money for all these friendlies for you know the for <laughs> yeah. for the women's for, team and, yeah for everyone um, yeah so but now they're like we can't afford to because we have to make this agreement with the players to give them everything they or to give them as much as they want as we can and so that means it's gonna hurt what we're paying the coach. Or sorry, mm. it's going to uh, reduce what we're paying the we're paying the coach. So, yeah, you, I, so you get I, what I you think... pay for, and if you pay yes. peanuts, you're going to get a monkey. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not untrue, Michael. It, it's it's well, the brutal honesty in the, in what about the an game. Just they like now. peanuts. An elephant. Will you I was going to say elephant, but well, that's, that's kind of big, and yeah, yeah. I just don't. Both these these names they they feel more like in the vein of um uh previous coaches uh flores and mm-hmm. what was the guy before him also oh. latin american i'll check that flores was an interesting one for sure yeah it feels more like that kind of appointment and so i, I to be honest if this is the is this is kind of what we're looking at, and I know most people would strongly disagree, I'm I would be okay to stay with Morrow or a Canadian like Bobby, or go with a Canadian like Bobby. You know what I mean? Like mm. Octavio Zambrano. Zambrano. That's ah. it. Yeah, he oh. was after Floro. He was after. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah. No, Floro was Zambrano. I was thinking of. He had some very choice words to say when he left. Yeah, well, I mean, he, yeah, there's lots of things we've heard about that that situation. Yeah. That were not uh, right or healthy or good or whatever. Anyways, yeah. There there isn't any, like, huge candidates that stand out that are realistic as to what we might be prepared to pay. I'm sure there's folk very much interested in it. Yeah, but that's why, if 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 that's going to keep... Those types of candidates away. I, again, I, I let's go with Bobby. Let's 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 go with Morrow. Like, There's still time to make a choice, a change as well. Actually, I, I, what I mean sure. by that is, like, you could appoint someone like Bobby for a two-year contract, and if it's not working out, there's still yes. time to make a change totally. before the World Cup. Is what I was meaning. Totally, but also, well, another big factor in this. I don't know if you said this on this episode. Is there not going to be a, a decision made on the coach until they made a decision on the? The general secretary. General yeah. secretary. I was going to say that, yeah. Which they've said is supposed to happen by the end of this calendar year, correct? Yeah. So, I guess ideally this coach is in place for the Trinidad and Tobago game, whether whoever I mean, that you is. You would hope so. You'd hope they've got folk in mind, but it's. I mean, it, it all it all opens up into just the the bigger thing. Like, if if you look at Canada just now on the international stage. The women, who we'll talk about it in the next part, bounced out of the World Cup at the group stage. 
but defending Olympic champions. The men reached their first World Cup since 1986, didn't get to the final of the Gold Cup, now bounced out at the quarterfinals of the Nations League. Did get to the final of last year's Nations League and did quite well, but under-17s, the World Cup that's just finished. Group exit again for the under-17s, thumped 5-1 by Mali on the back of a 3-0 loss to Uzbekistan. Now, you can argue three of the, the four teams in that group got to the quarterfinals. Mali, I mean, the 5-1 thumping didn't look too bad when you saw them absolutely yeah. like destroy some other teams after that. And Uzbekistan beat England, which was fantastic. <laughs> it was. It oh, was. That was fin- I really felt for them today, though, going out. Or mm. yesterday. All these days are blending into one now. But basically, back to Canada, we, we seem to be falling behind other countries at all levels. And there's there's some serious questions that need asked and there's a lot of stuff that needs addressed. And in a 25-30 minute part of a podcast, this isn't what we're going to do just now and we, we need to have these discussions and I keep talking about we should have a nice round table with, with some people to, to talk about these very things. But why are we falling behind? Is it we're just not investing money or enough money in development and then we're not bringing the players through? Or are we just simply not good enough at at the top level? Or a combination thereof, right? Because there is no money to invest in in development. And how do you get around that? And then you've got, we won't go into the whole CSB deal and everything again, but you've got the players looking for more. And as as I keep saying... It's not just the the senior teams that need to get this money, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way down to things like football, the like the the Paralympics, Paralympics. Teams just been yeah. in a tournament and stuff just now as well. All these teams are deserving of financial support, but there's a limited amount of money that's going around. But we've got to get better at developing our youth. We've got to get better. At investing in youth and that's like league one throughout canada that needs to be in every province certain rules around that need to change as well here in bc it's farcical that you've you're making teams have men and women's teams whereas there's clubs out there in bc that have very strong women's programs but they don't want to run a men's team let them in league one so that the teams that only want to run a men's team can run a men's team, and the teams that want to run a women's team can run a women's team, and those that want to run both, the university teams, TSS, let them do that. Mm. It's just, everyone needs to sit down. Everyone needs to take a step back from their own little world and grow the game. And it's, we've said it for years, and it's just it's not going to happen until someone makes it and forces it to happen. Yeah, and that, that that is a problem, right? Because it's all about it's all about one one or two one or two things. It's about money or it's about control and power, right? Like yeah. People don't want to give up their control or their power or they're making money and they don't want to uh reduce the the potential for them to make m- more money. So 
Yeah, yeah those always, are, always comes those back are, to that. Those are powerful forces that are at work within the game. And so far, we haven't been able to no. harness all the energy that goes into making uh, pathways uh, clearer or fuller or expanded or whatever because of things like that. I was listening to an episode of the, the famous Sloping Pitch podcast that I, I mentioned a lot on the show. And they were talking about like the current financial situation in England. And they said, you've got polar opposites with the like the, the Saudi and Qatari owners and the American owners. For the Saudi owners, they don't care about money because they've got so much of it. They just want to put it in and do do it for their own reasons. But then on the other hand, you've got the American owners, and for them it's just all about money. They want to make money. They want to make more money. And it feels in Canada, we're so focused on the money side of it that everyone's yeah. wanting to make their money. But the money's not there to invest in what will grow the game, which will then lead to everyone making more money because there's more eyes on it. There's more folk playing it. The teams are better. The leagues are better. Well, didn't isn't there something crazy going on in the top flight in England or whatever, where basically the the big teams and not the, necessarily the traditional big teams, but the teams that are owned by outside forces have vetoed or blocked this proposal to not allow loan players loans yeah. loans in the, from the multi like like back in the day, you had players like Carlos Tevez that mm. were owned by a private well, yeah thing in South America now you've got players in the Saudi league that much like MLS control all the contracts of MLS players mm -hmm. there's the single entity in Saudi that they, they own the players and then they put in what clubs they play for which is different obviously to MLS and that but group then, owns Newcastle yeah but that group then owns Newcastle who it's like mm -hmm. well we own this player oh that guy's injured let's just put this like-for-like -like replacement in mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they've got this loan deal for a great guy that yeah. makes them even stronger. Which also will allow them, it's not even that, Michael, it's, it will allow them to circumvent FFP. Yes. In that crazy well. ways. Then you've got Everton who's like, well, hello, <laughs> we've oh, just yeah. been hit with all this these points deducted. Which is crazy because if that's all they're, if that, sorry, if that's what they're doing to Everton, what's going to happen to City? Well, it keeps getting postponed. It gets postponed, but surely it must be more significant than what happened to Everton. Well, the interesting thing with Everton is initially the rumours that were going around where it was going to be a six-point deduction suspended for two years. Mm. And then from that, within 48 hours, it became, no, it's a 10-point deduction that stands yeah. as of now. And it's like, wow, Something's rapidly. Have they, have, have they appealed? Yeah. And that's. Is there a timeline I, on it? I don't know, but it's Some, sometime before the end of the season. Well, that would that would help. <laughs> it's just the the world game. It is interesting, but getting back to the development side, like with all respect to Uzbekistan, how are they producing such? top quality under 17 players they are investing in their top quality young guys mm -hmm. so we're falling behind on the men's side we're falling behind that and at adult level senior level on the women's side as we talked about in the world cup 
we're getting left behind there mm-hmm. because other countries are now overtaking us. And that was going to be very evident from even going back to 2015 that that was happening on the women's side. Can, can Canada Project 8, what's going to happen with that? We're going to hear from Bev Priestman in the next part. I ask her about development and just spoiler for what you're about to hear. She's talking about Project 8 as being the league that's going to develop the next crop of young players. Do you get eyeballs and investment on that league? Because the CPL on the men's side struggled. Because the harsh reality is a lot of people in this country, in North America, don't want to watch developmental players. I think it can work, but I think you're right. They, they will face very, very significant challenges. I think what they're probably likely to do is they want, well, they're going to want a number of recognizable current or former national team players on every side supplemented by young players. But well, the thing is that, that you're having to spend money because these players yeah. that's over in Europe just now. Oh, and then like, not, maybe that's what I mean. Not maybe not those big ones, right? But the ones that are playing in North America, oh, like NWSL, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. They're, rec- they're, to money, they're, though. they're recognizable and whatever, but they, but it, it does but come down to money because it's like CPL players if they've got the choice of staying in Canada or even going to play USL, yeah, Mo Farsi will talk about in a little bit later in the show as well, yeah. It's like sometimes it's worth oh, I'll get paid a little bit more and there's a different pathway down there. Yeah. That's why so many college players go the NCAA route, men and women, because it's just, it opens up way more doors for them. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think the, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, how things work for Project 8, if it gets off the ground in 2025, like planned, and will they have the same things that the CPL did at the beginning where, yeah, it's not a, it's, I mean, a significant amount of the squads in the CPL, especially the first few years, it was not a livable wage. It was like, it was, it was fifteen thousand. Some of the guys were on exactly. It was, so, um, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how Project Eight approaches that. Bringing it around to the national team, just to to round this off, why did we lose to Jamaica? Is there anything? that can be done to change that in the future. And at the end of the day, the players didn't perform, they got outplayed, they lost the game. But it's hard not to think back. They had one game in the last window in a long trip to Japan that they got hammered in. Mm-hmm. And I, I I said to you at the time, I genuinely don't see what they get from that game. Well, they got to, they got to play stiff competition, which... I think they that then they, showed like, them how far behind they were. Sure, but I, like I said, I think I said at the time as well. You know, there are some things. Hopefully, they'll learn from from that. Um, well, they only need, gave up three goals this time, I guess. Canada needs to be playing non concacaf teams because we play CONCACAF yeah. so much, right? Like, I don't think it's healthy but to go, have. Like, a, I don't think it's healthy to have a steady diet of Concacaf, right? No, like you're, you're but gonna if get you ob- have limited money. And you're pissing away so much money in a big trip to Japan. Now, Japan may have paid mm. some money towards that. Like, we've had to do bring teams here. I know mm. the European teams were, like, in competition, so it's maybe hard to get games. But at least play two games. Why a one-game window? I still don't get that. Well, no, and that then was, the, the window before, Michael, you no get games. That. 
those were those were all financial decisions. You understand that. I mean, we we don't know that factually or whatever, but you understand that. You yeah, don't, you don't but like that, it. That's, that's, that's part okay. of the issue. Totally. And it's like you've then got the players who apparently were trying to have labor talks as well in the the day before the Jamaica game in Toronto, from what Gareth Wheeler was saying on One Soccer. Oh, now, yeah. is that the right time to do that? Is your mind fully on the game? The players wanted to, yeah. But see, for them, again, is it ideal for match preparation? No. But for them, Michael, to, or you know, to give the fuller picture, for them, it's the only time they're all together. So, of course, it makes sense for them yeah. to be like, hey, we're together. Let's try and get some of this stuff figured out. Or do we have time to talk and, you know connect over what should be done or where we or where are we at what's you know what's going on and what's next and who do we need to talk to and what are the realities of this that and the other like all that stuff makes sense to makes sense to me for them to do it then is it ideal no i would agree with you no it's not did it affect them maybe yeah last thing you've just become general secretary of canada soccer <laughs> oh Spo- man. spoiler for anyone the announcement's coming soon but i, I I'll, I'll break the news for you Give me three things that you would change. If, if you if you were able to just do whatever you wanted, what three things would you change to get Canada, Canadian soccer in general, not the organisation, back on track or going in the right direction? I've just thrown this on you, so... Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I've thrown well, this on you at two o'clock in the morning. I'll say, and some of this will be unpopular, I'm sure, but I would say, well... I don't know all the rea- the realities around all this, but I don't think, like, with other federations, the people who are playing these significant roles, um, I believe that they're all getting paid to do them. And we have a... So if my, if my position comes with unlimited funds, right, mm-hmm. then I think, yeah, we, we professionalize Canada soccer. If that if that's something we can do, we that we professionalize it, so it's yeah, not. I like that. Not, not I'd, I'd like to see it professionalized with football people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of now course. it doesn't have to all be football people. No, you need probably need a bit of a mix. Yeah. You uh, need business ba- people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would do that. I would. Um, uh, okay, so the unpopular thing I would do is I would say that, and so everything I say has to happen. Is that the? Like genie, well, yeah, it's like yeah. This goes back to a discussion we we had in between parts where I was talking about a song I was going to play. So you find a magic lamp and you rub the lamp, (laughs) but this time you're not going to ask for an orange for your head. I think the Canadian Women's League is CPL Women's and is connected to that. The people with Project Eight, those sides and whatever can be a part of that. Like it doesn't have to be CPL only sides, but I think the the i think there should be a connection between our domestic men's league and our domestic women's league i think they should be working together not not defiantly independent of each other or whatever because i think how some of these things are being handled is not healthy for the overall uh for the overall growth of the game as we've talked about in the past so i would i would do that um again that would take a number changing a number of things with within that concept and we won't go into all the details of that now but I would do that. And the third thing I would do, well, <laughs> I could say something even more. I, I would, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll say something harsh, but I'll put a, I'll put a, I'll put a, a caveat on it. I'll say 
um, oh, so let's say within 10 years, all Canadian professional clubs need to be playing in Canadian leagues. Ooh. <laughs> That's a controversial one. I, I'm i with you on the first two points because um, my, my three would have been to, to get more football people on board, mm-hmm. but I like how you worded it more like professionalism. I, I, I want to see a proper Canadian soccer pyramid, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking promotion relegation per se. What I'm talking about is everyone is working together, and you're looking at CPL. I like CPL, Project A, work together, men, women's leagues. That's your top tier in Canada. League One Canada runs a League One side in every province that they can, but they have close links to the CPL, and there's a a distinct pathway up and down Mm -hmm. between those leagues. You can't just have it going downwards and then not reward players by bringing them up as well. So you've got to have that, and then you can also link that in for me with the colleges, like offer the players an education as well as playing because your salary is not great it might not work out you might come to 21 or 23 and that's your career done and you've put so much effort into that that you then haven't had an education so work hand in hand yeah but the key is to put development money into youth and also take some of the politics out of youth as best as you can, which is a whole other thing yeah, that's yeah. impossible to possibly do at this point. But everyone has to work together. But the the investment has to be done at the right age group. Focus on getting 15, 16, 17, 18, even up to like 21, 23-year-olds in proper footballing environments. There'll be late bloomers There'll be other people that maybe didn't get an opportunity. Don't just think that the best players have to go to, say, Whitecaps Academy, TFC Academy, whatever. Sigma's mm-hmm. shown that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah. that That's basically just some early thoughts on that. It's late. I'm starting to ramble now. But let us know your thoughts, though. If you could... If there was three things you could do as new general secretary to change the direction that Canadian football is currently in, what would they be? And I know some of it is maybe going to be unrealistic because the money's not there, but how do you get the money? That's another thing. We'll have a lot more chats about this. The next appointment, though, for the Canadian men's national team is, for me, vitally important, but you do still have time to correct the ship if yep. it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So maybe take a gamble on someone like Bobby and say, right, you've got two years, let's see what you can do with a squad. And he does have a history of developing young players. There's whole other questions to ask as well that we didn't even get into. There's been so much chat about Alfonso Davies. Is he good or bad for the national team just now? How do we handle him? I... I I think I've missed some stuff along the line. Because am, am I imagining this, Zach, or is there a little bit of the fan base and media that seems to be turning against Fonzie for some reason? I've seen uh, things he's trying to do too much. He's too individualistic. No, I mean, it's totally, it's totally fair to say 
and we've said it in our own way over the last few years, that he's a completely different player at club that he is at, at for a country. At club, he has a very defined role, and he does it very well. Um, and uh, when he comes to Canada, it feels like he tries to do too much. And I think that whether that's just him, whether that's freedom he's given by his coaches, whether that's instructions he's given by his coaches, uh, I, I don't know. So are we relying too much on him? Uh, is, is there I, I plan B's? Is there plan C's? I think we, and one of the things you saw in qualifying was how the side actually excelled when he was out. Yeah. And because because they knew they couldn't rely on him. And so players like, you know, Tejan and Sam and, you know, Laren and David, obviously, uh, Stacchio, other players like stepped up in massive ways. Um, So I, yeah, I don't know that he is the problem. I don't know that he, he's that big of a problem. I, I would give very little credence to that, but those on the inside of that room might have different feelings, and that's probably more important of what they, they feel. But I, yeah, I, I think that who, whether it's Morrow, whoever is going to be coaching in March, you do need to, um, I think maybe more define what they want him to do because he, he does it, to me, it does feel like he's doing way, way too much. Um, I, I, I feel we have to have. Like genuinely, and I know this has been said by a lot of folk in the past week, it does feel like there's no plan B sometimes. Not even just around Fonzie, but just no, in no, general, yeah, in general. Just with the yeah, team. Yeah. It's like, we're going to do this. Okay, we're still going to do this. We're going to change the personnel up, but we're still going to do this. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I think that's a valid, a valid critique. I think that goes back to what you've already said, though, in terms of limited ability to prepare limited friendlies to try try things out and going with what you know which maybe yeah, that's why exactly. like getting rid yeah. of of Myro as well as john herdman you've got new blood in he'll yeah, bring his own bring yeah. team new team uh, new ideas that's fair that's that's totally fair but again yeah, all these things are interconnected and yeah. we'll and it all we'll comes down to money for a lot of yes. as well oh totally anyway, we'll see how it all plays out as we say AFT in Canada on Twitter, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. We're still going to keep on the international chat in the next part. We're going to be looking Ooh. at the women because they're going to be waltzing to the Matildas in a couple of games this week. And we'll be back chatting about all of that and speaking to the latest Whitecaps call up, Geneva Hernandez Gray, after this. Hi, I'm Stephanie LeBay, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the final track from our second Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November. And as I've mentioned before, next year we're not having Artist of the Month, we're going to try a couple of other different things. So our last ever song for now from an Artist of the Month... That is a New Zealand band, Dick Move, from Tamaki and Macarau in Auckland. And that is the penultimate track on their second album, Wet, that was just released in October of this year. And I thought since next week we're going into our festive 15, we are all casting our mind towards Christmas. What a great way to end everything up. But from Dick Move's track, Eyes for Christmas. Hope you've enjoyed Dick Move and the Yummy Fur this month. You can check out Dick Move in all the usual places and on Bandcamp. You can find them at dickmove2.bandcamp.com. And we're less than a month to Christmas now, and it's going to feel that Christmas has come a little bit early for fans of the Canadian women's national team. Pair of games here in BC coming up on Friday. In Langford, as a 7.30 kick-off. And then next Tuesday, December the 5th, at BC Place, 7 o'clock kick-off. Both the matches against Australia. And it's Christine Sinclair's last two games as a Canadian international player. She's taken on the Aussies. The Matildas are coming to BC for what should be two fantastic games. Important matches for both teams as they look ahead to next year's Olympics, which Canada have already qualified for with their win over Jamaica. Australia just going through their qualification campaign right now. For Canada as well, they've got the first ever CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup coming up. That will take place in the US from February 20th to March 10th next year. Canada have qualified for that, as have the US. Still a lot of places up for grabs and the November games and some games in February are actually going to nail down exactly who is going to be at the first ever CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup. There's also some invitations from Comneball. Brazil, Colombia, Argentina and Paraguay will be taking place in that tournament. So these are two very important games for Canada, just to get them trying some things out, maybe having a look at a couple of new faces. But it's also a chance to bid a fond farewell to three of the Canadian stalwarts from over the last few years, well, many years really, Christine Sinclair, Sophie Schmidt and Erin McLeod. Erin McLeod hung up her international boots. Sophie Schmidt announcing this year that she is going to hang up her international boots and Christine Sinclair just doing the same a couple of weeks ago. Bev Priestman has announced a 25-player roster for these two games coming up. Both Schmidt and Sinclair on that roster. New face as well in Vancouver Whitecaps' very own Geneva Hernandez-Gray. We'll talk a little bit about her later on in this part. And it's a, a tough couple of games for Canada, not just because they're playing a team that has 
Coming in very hot after the Women's World Cup down in Australia and New Zealand in the Matildas. But they have to try and find a way to balance the emotions of saying goodbye to these three big players. And in particular, Christine Sinclair, who the 6,000 plus sellout crowd in Langford are there to see sink. The last we heard, there was over 35,000 tickets sold for BC Place with the Upper Bowl open as well. Again, the vast majority of them just there to wave goodbye and give a fitting send-off to the Canadian legend that is Sink. But through all those emotions, they have to get this team in shape for the Gold Cup, for the Olympics. And I think that group stage exit at the World Cup shows that they're is a lot of work that's needing done. It's a changing of the guard. They need to work on a lot of things. So just exactly how is Bev Priestman going to balance that? But I'll play a little bit of audio to kick off this part now, just from Bev. She had a conference call with media this week. So here's a, a couple of questions to Bev from, from Har, Neil Davidson and Adam Jenkins, just asking how you balance saying farewell to sync, but, with looking ahead to these two big tournaments to come. Here's Bev Priestman. And a Christine question. Will she start both games in this series? Well, I'm not going to give my uh, my secrets away for the Australian coach listening here. I think, obviously, particularly BC Place, Christine, that, that's her send-off game. And so... I think, as I've said in every window, the, the fans can ex- expect to see Christine feature. I think we owe that. And then obviously BBC Places is going to be a game that is designed to to honour the great work that Christine's done. Uh, you talked before the uh, Brazil games about the balance with with uh, these games are important, obviously on the road to Paris, but obviously you're looking after Christine's farewell games too. I would imagine the uh, emotions will run even higher in these two games, especially BC with Sophie and Erin. That's more than 600 caps. Uh, yeah. What do you expect from from that evening in terms of uh, emotions and, and your emotion as coach? Yeah, I think, you know, even naming one last time with Christine in there, I think it's going to be moments of that throughout the camp for for me, for her, for the for the team, I thought in the last window, Christine, you know, handled it really well. You know, emotionally, it's a lot. And I think maybe in this camp, it, it'll all be coming to that sort of an end. And I think that's going to be unpredictable. I think people on this team, people in this country have only really ever known this team in, in, in recent times with Christine Sinclair part of it. And so I think... It's going to be an emotional night, and I think we have to embrace that. I think, um, you know, as a coach and, and Paris 24 and everything, you know, that's where my my mind, my heart, my tactics goes. But I think that night at BC Place, of course, we'll be trying to move that direction. But at the same time, no player is going to want to let that game just be a nothing game. They're going to want to put everything out there for the person that's gave everything for, for so long or the three people that have given everything for so long. So I think it is going to be an emotional night. I think it's going to be an unbelievable occasion. Um, I know everybody is trying to make sure that is the case, you know, in terms of the event and and the things around it because nobody wants to get this wrong. They want to 
repay everything that that these players have given to their country. And um, I just hope that that BC place is is sold out. And we you know, I, I was there not so long ago with the White Caps. So it was a good turnout. The Upper Bowl was open, and I'm sat there thinking, like, this thing is going to be full. What an occasion to send off the greatest of all time, um, and and two other veterans that have been pivotal in in all three medals for for Canada. I mean, that's pretty difficult to to replicate in the future. So I'm just wondering, knowing that this is your last window with the squad before the W Gold Cup in February, what sort of things do you and your staff have to balance or juggle? Or is it as much focus on these games with Australia as much as you can and, and know that you'll have time to prepare once you'll know your opponents on the 11th? Yeah, it's a fair point. I think really it's a phase where it's about us. And I think it's the last luxury you could say where we're going to go into a year in 2024 where, you know, arguably two tournaments possibly going into an uh, Olympic Games and, you know, some games that will really be ramping up and streamlining trying to get this roster down. I think that's going to be one of the hardest things. But I knew that the fall window was about bringing in some new faces trying out, you know, a new shape and getting the grips with that against different shapes against us. And we've had that luxury now in two windows. We've faced two different shapes. And then you go and bring probably the transition and attack and threat that what a, an Australia can bring. It's exactly what we need tactically. And I think you you review the three windows at the end of the year and you, you start to develop really some strategies to say, how can we be successful going into 2024? So it's going to be... Coming out of this year, thinking who needs to be in that Gold Cup? How do we need to play and what's our opponents? Um, but really, it is absolutely about us, I think, this Australia game. So, Bev Priestman, they are just chatting about balancing the emotions with getting down to the business side of things. And by the sounds of that, I think we can assume that Christine Sinclair is going to come on as a sub in the game in Langford, I would think. Maybe a second half sub. While Bev has a look at some of the first team options and the, the options for moving forward in maybe the first hour of that one. I would expect her to start at BC Place. Sophie Schmidt as well. I cannot expect it to get the start in that one. That's more going to be the occasion. That's more going to be the, the farewell game and they can work in a couple of things, but I think just the emotions of that is certainly going to be what overtakes that game. The next day at BC Place as well, Christine Sinclair, that the following evening, is going to be launching her new charity initiative. And she has an event where she's going to be doing an interview with Steph LeBay and, and launching her charity as well. So you can check out the details of that online if you're interested in heading along and supporting Sync in that regard as well. But as I mentioned, it's a chance for Bev Priestman to look at some possible new formations, some new lineups, some new partnerships, maybe a new player as well. In Whitecaps, 17-year-old Geneva Hernandez-Gray. Geneva getting her first call-up after representing her country at U17 and at U20 level in the past year. And it's been a fantastic rise for Geneva, long-time listeners to the show will know how high we are on just how good Geneva Hernandez-Gray could be. Obviously, we don't want to put tons and tons of pressure on a young girl as well, but having watched her play 
in League One BC for the Whitecaps over the last two summers. What a talent. She's been playing above her tender years. She's been playing with older players, against older players, training with academy boys as well. And now getting the reward for all of her hard work with this first call-up to the senior national team. Will she see some time on the pitch? I have to think she will. My, my gut, as we'll hear in a sec when I talk to Geneva, is I kind of wonder if there's going to be like a changing of the guard moment where Sophie Schmidt might come off, Geneva Hernandez-Gray might be the player to come on and replace her. Be very fitting if that was the case. For anyone that isn't familiar with Geneva, she's a talented midfielder, box-to-box, has a sweet strike on her as well. You just have to look at the 2022 League One BC Championship game where Geneva scored the 89th minute winner to win the title for the White Caps, which they won again in 2023 as well as the Interprovincial title. But I got a chance to chat with Geneva this week after it was announced that she was in the squad, headed out to Whitecaps Girls Elite Training at Burnaby Lake. So sit back and enjoy our chat now with Canada's latest call-up, Geneva Hernandez-Gray. So Geneva, exciting time obviously for you, your first call-up to the... Canadian women's national team, the senior team. How, how are you feeling about it? When did you, you first find out about it? Yeah, I found out on Wednesday morning. They kind of messaged me at first saying, are you available for a quick call? So I replied right away saying like, yeah. And then the call was only like five minutes. She said it very like nonchalantly. And she was like, oh, you're going to be coming out Monday. And I was, I was really shocked. I think even now, like I'm still shocked even two days later. And yeah, I leave on Monday, so yeah, I'm super excited. I mean, it's, you've, you've had a whirlwind rise because you're 17, you've been playing with the 17s, but you've also been playing with the U20s as well. So you're used to playing at the, the higher age group and without like inflating your ego too much, you've looked really comfortable at the higher levels and in League One you've played against older women as well. Does it just feel natural out there to you? Uh, yeah, I think playing with the 17s and 20s, I've gotten a lot of exposure to, like, I don't know, bigger, faster kind of women, also in League One, like, with, like, a lot of the players being, like, 20 years old and stuff like that. So I guess, like, jumping into, like, the senior team now is obviously going to be a difference, but I think I'm prepared. So if we look back at your kind of rise to, to this point, when, when did you start playing soccer? When did you know that that was what you wanted to do? Uh, I started playing when I was around six, seven years old. Um... I kind of played through like Poco system and then I moved to TSS for a year and then that year I feel like I developed a lot as a player so after that I kind of knew like I had to like kind of more focus on soccer like quit my other sports and stuff like that and then yeah my parents kind of like also saw a change that like I was gonna be like a player like big and stuff. So try to do my quick math here. So you would have been nine, eight or nine when the Women's World Cup was here in, in twenty fifteen? Yeah. Did did you get along to any of those games at uh, BC Place? No, I didn't get it. Ah, but you you watched it obviously yeah, on T V yeah. and stuff. So now you've got a chance to be with some of those players that played at that World Cup. Christine Sinclair, her farewell matches. So it, it's a it's a big, big occasion. Has that sunk in yet or is that gonna take a little bit of time? 
Yeah, I think growing up watching a lot of those players, like obviously like idols of mine and stuff like that, but being able to like play with them now is kind of crazy to just think of. Like when I see her, I think I'm just like gonna freak out. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna be a weird occasion just in general, and obviously we don't know if you'll see time on the pitch or not. I, my hunch is you'll come on at BC Place for Sophie Schmidt. I just think that's going to be the substitution that's going to happen, but to, to get a chance even to step on the pitch, what, what will that mean to you? Yeah, this has been a goal of mine for so long, so being called up is crazy enough, and even being able to make my debut would be amazing, especially at BC Place, home, like here, so yeah. The last two years in League One, won two championships, you scored that fantastic goal in the 2022 championship game that's won it for the Whitecaps and then going back to back winning the interprovincial title how has your game grown over the last two years playing with the League One side? I think once this like League One came out like it was a change for all of us because we never really had a league to play in so like when it came out obviously it was going to be challenging as a younger team but I think we've grown so well into the league and Obviously, we're, we've shown that we've been like the best team the past few years. So I think it's prepared a lot of us for like the next level, like college soccer and stuff like that. So, how difficult is it to go into a league? Because I know I know you play friendlies and you, you you train over the course of the season. But how difficult is it then not to have those games and then go straight into a league season? Yeah, I think like in the fall season when we play against like boys is really not the same as playing against like university women and like the kind of like jump between those like games. It's difficult at first, but I think we also like do enjoy playing against women more. So I think we're like able to switch over pretty easily. Now, I was on the call with Bev yesterday and she mentioned you train with the boys team. I didn't know that. So is that with the Academy Boys Whitecaps Academy team? Yeah, I play with the 2010 pre-MLS boys team. Ah, and are you able to play in matches and stuff with them? Uh, no, I haven't played against um, in matches with them. I just practice with them twice a week. Ah. So obviously on the horizon, we've got Project 8 coming up. But before that, you're going to university. Mm-hmm. So you're going to Auburn. What, what, what made you pick Auburn of all the schools? I'm sure there was a lot of interest in you. So what was it about Auburn? Um, when I watched them play against Alabama, Alabama was like a top like three team at the time. So being able to like watch my team and compete really well against them and their style of play really matched mine. Also like the coaching staff, all the girls. So when I kind of went, like it just kind of felt where I belonged. And what are you going to study there? Um, I'm not too sure yet. Maybe something in sciences. Ah. So Project 8 is then also going to be on the horizon for you and I mean you might do your whole four years at school, who knows what's going to happen in that regard but to have that opportunity, to have that excitement knowing that there's now going to be a professional league for you I mean there's also options overseas and stuff but what does it mean to have that option here, the Whitecaps having a team in? I think ultimately my goal was always to kind of go pro so now that that's an option especially at home it's kind of like crazy to think of also because like, I don't know, maybe like five months ago, we hadn't even heard of like a professional league in Canada. So that's a great opportunity to have. Going back to Canada then, just to round things up, what are you most looking forward to or what are you most excited, maybe even nervous about in, in going into the camp now? Um, obviously seeing all of those like players that I've kind of idolized for a while now and I don't know, just kind of getting an opportunity to play with them and try to kind of grow as a player and show what I can do. It's been a pleasure watching the last two years. Have a great time in Victoria and Vancouver and hopefully we see you in the pitch. Yeah, thank you. That's good.
Geneva Hernandez Gray there. Very excited for what the future holds in store for G. Like she has the world at her feet just now. She's going to be heading off next year to college, NCAA with Auburn, as we talked about there. And it does feel like a little bit of the changing of the guard. So we'll just kind of round off this part with a little bit more audio. Going to play you Bev Priestman's thoughts on why she's called Geneva in to the Canada squad for these two sets of matches. And just a, a chat from me with Bev about the importance of League One and developing these young players with Project 8 on the horizon and so much talent coming through in the women's side in League One, in U Sports, in NCAA as well. Just how do they track all these talent and progress and make the decision that the time is right for them to come in to the senior team setup? Here's Bev Priestman again. You've called up um, Jen Hernandez Gray. What do you like from her and what's helped her get called up to the national team for this two-game series? Yeah, I think, you know, what you've seen over the last little while is really probably post-Olympics, but, you know, exposure to to young players, Amanda Allen, Annabelle Chukwu, you know, there's been a whole host of new faces being brought in. And I think, you know, with Sophie returning in the midfield, you know, you know, I probably should touch on Mimi here is, you know, I had a conversation with Mimi. Emma Regan was due to come in and, and picked up a an injury because I thought Emma did well, but I didn't feel it was fair to bring in, you know, Mimi again. She didn't get on the pitch in the last two windows. And really, I feel this is the time with Sophie coming in for that second game to assess an up-and-coming promising young player. I think Geneva was a standout in the last under-20 qualifiers as she played in the under-17 World Cup. She's at part of our National Development Centre programme at the Whitecaps. And to be honest, she's been training with boys' Whitecaps to give her that extra push because she is talented. So for us, we it's a certain profile that I think we need to keep exploring the depth, that sort of like holding midfield, 4-8 type box-to-box midfielder that I think we need to keep exploring. I think we've got a lot of like attacking midfielder 10 type roles. Mimi, Sarah Stratagakis, there's a whole host out there. But I think I really want to explore that that position that Emma Regan, I thought, came in and did well. And Geneva's a, a bright young talent, technical. You know, some people have used Julia Grosso type comparisons, you know, when when I've spoke to them. But I think generally he's very technical and, and, and has a bright future. And I think there's everything for her again coming into this this camp um, and, and, you know, add to our midfield. Talking about Geneva, over the last two seasons, we've really seen her growth in League One BC and she's obviously a player that plays beyond her, her young years. Looking at the, the grand scheme of League One, how do you see that fitting in to the development of these young players? Because obviously the, the three NSDC teams dominated in the various League Ones this year. Last year in BC, we had the U17s all playing on the one team. Is that the kind of thing you'd, you'd like to see going forward? And where do you see it fitting into the programme? Yeah, I think obviously, while we don't have Project 8, I think to have meaningful competition, you know, we have three unbelievable centres that train every day, sports science, a line curriculum, the senior team. And so you can, I don't want to say pluck players out and put them in, but they have a really good understanding of the way that we work. 
I think the the League One setting has given meaningful competition where where points matter, where it's about winning that you know is important for a young player's development. I think once Project Eight comes, it'll be interesting as to how that fits. I think our very best young players will be playing for Project Eight teams. I mean that's that's the vision. I think that's what they need, and um, that's the gap. You know, when we reviewed the World Cup. Currently, at the moment, a lot of countries around the world had under 25 players and many of them having an impact in that World Cup. We have a really good uh, talent in, in that age group. You know, you, you look at the, the group now, I think we've got 10, maybe under 25s that have come through. But I think what's missing is that they, around the world, have a professional pathway. They play meaningful competition week in, week out, where their livelihood is on the line. Um, and, and our players, you know, have, have, have generally gone the NCAA route, which, you know, has its own path and it ticks its own boxes. But I think to to be a leading country in the future, we know that we have to plug that gap with a professional league. And these players need to play in that um, week in, week out. And I'd expect, you, you know, your young Annabelle Chukwu's, all these players can, can be playing week in, week out in a professional league. And that's what we need. Kind of following on from that... Another kind of gap is the pathway for, say, the youth sports players, because there's been so much talent we've seen in the last couple of years. Like here in BC, you've got Kat Tolney, who's been lighting it up. A lot of these players have other country options for them. How closely do you keep an eye on those players? Yeah, I mean, we obviously we have we scout all different like pathways. There isn't one pathway, and that's what I would always say to a young player is you look at. Chloe Lacasse, Evelyn Viennes, those sort of players didn't come through a youth system and, and come in that way. They paved their, their own path in professional football and got pulled in. And I know the project is working with youth sports to try and get that partnership going that, you know, you, you also can get academic, um, yeah, academic scholarships and things with professional football. So I think there's a whole wider pathway discussion. Um, but I don't think there is just one way to, to the national team. And I think it, because the women women's game has moved so far, and um, that's no longer like a one way direction. I think it's very much many different pathways can can get you there. And I wear it for my lady, the Canadian flag, baby. So Bev Priestman there just chatting about Geneva Hernandez's Grey's call-up, some League One stuff as well, and it's very exciting, these two games. We'll go into a little bit more detail in the next show regarding our farewell to sync. We'll pay a full tribute to Christine Sinclair in the next show as well. Hope to maybe get a chance to chat with one or two of the Australian players as well, and if we can get that done before the next show, we'll bring you that audio in episode 590. But that is it for our international chat. We're going to be turning our attention to the Whitecaps next as we hand out the second part of our 2023 AFTN Awards and have a look back at four very interesting MLS playoff semi-finals that produced quite a few talking points. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
cards you can play Put them in all sorts of order to wander my ways At first it was a phase Until I noticed this focus makes change You might only make pennies But I'm never the same Watching news on telly Like fuck off mate I'm cut open by the system I stop bleeding with the music I make It's like a microdosing melodies and instrumentals Telling me the melancholy's often softening and stopping on recording days I use music as a crutch The booth is my church The bible my words Inspire from desire and no longer hurt They say Be original Always was Guess pointing out my flaws Ain't what hip hop was All that ego talk Before all the emos dropped Ten years ahead of the curve As the blue pills get popped No for me mate Society isn't red But I still take what I take When serotonin leaves my brain At incredible rates The hip hop keeps me sane Well enough anyway Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is friend of the show from Edinburgh, Scotland, Word, SOS, with a song, the opening song actually, from his new album. The album was just released earlier this month. It's called But Doctor, I Am Pagliacci. And that was the opening track, Pagliacci. If anyone doesn't know, Pagliacci is an Italian opera and it means clowns and kind of ties in with a sad clown paradox. And Words got that imagery on the album. He's got a good video out for one of the songs as well, where he's in clown face and, and stuff as well. And it's just a shame we're not doing our Villain of the Year awards this week because the clown, everything would fit in well when we get to our bell and door. But that's going to come in a, a few episodes' time. But we are continuing our AFTN wards for this part. Part two. We had part one last week. Zach didn't get a chance to, to go, though, so I might throw those out to him first. But we've got another four that we're going to discuss. Still all Whitecaps related for this one. But last week, Zach, we, we gave our Player of the Year, which we gave to Ryan Gold. Wouldn't see you querying that too much. Yeah, White Cats Player of the Year. White Cats sure. Player of the Year. Well, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Next week we're going to do Vancouver FC awards for the first. How time. could you go any other way? It, exactly. Young Player of the Year, Ali Ahmed. I concur. Academy Player of the Year. I know it's been a while since we got out to academy games together and stuff, yeah. but I gave it to Michael Hennessy just because he had such oh, a, yeah. a strong League One BC season, which fantastically yeah. he's carried into to college game. Female Player of the Year. I didn't give it this year to Geneva Hernandez-Gray. She did win it last year. But I gave it to Kiera Blundell, who was just on a goal-scoring tear with the the girls' elite on the way to win the championship and then carried that forward a little bit uh, as as well into the interprovincials. And then this would be the other one to, to get your thoughts off. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to go with Geneva Hernandez-Gray for that one. She'd had a good season. Yeah. She's got, 
she's got the call. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah, just I'm... heard from her in the, the last part. And yeah. I mean, I, when I was coming out of the interview there with her, I didn't bring you in. I just did it all on my own there. But it's crazy to think she got told on Wednesday that she was going to be in the squad. And it's like she's not had much time to think about this. And to quote her, I'm just going to lose it when I see Christine Sinclair. It's just <laughs> like, that's just so sweet to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to hear that. But I mean, she has had a fantastic season. And she got a lot of assists and she did get a couple of goals. But she was away as well with the, with the U17s. And Kiera had a fantastic season on, on the girls' side. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in their final season with the, the girls' elite team. Our, our last award last week was White Cap to Watch in 2024. Oh. Mm. I want to say Ali Ahmed as well for this. Yeah. I I, I mean, F- Felipe was going that direction as well. I, I, I'm hoping Simon Betts or Levante Johnson can have a really good pre-season and carry that in to the, the full season. And as I mentioned last week's show, when I sit down with Vanny in a couple of weeks curious why their minutes dropped up as the season or dried up as the, the season went on as well so I, I hope that they can do it and yeah but we'll see how that goes but we've we've got four more Whitecaps awards to give this week I, I, I just want to say I just want to say about that the problem with those players you mentioned I think is that I think they're going to add one or two significant pieces that are yeah. older, mature, more experienced, who they're going to rely on more than those guys. And so, even if those guys do um, have have breakout performances or whatever, I think their ability to actually break through and get significant minutes in the first team are going to be somewhat limited. So yeah. it's going to be. I think it's going to be hard for them. I think it's like outside of Ali. I think it could be tough for any of the young guys to kind of make a. A, a big breakthrough season in 2024. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ali's already kind of had his breakthrough season this this season, but I mean, pushing on, on from that. First award will go over this time around. Whitecaps game of the season. Now, there's a couple I had in mind, and I think we're, we're going for different ones here. Yeah. For me, I'm going for the June 24th 3-2 win at LAFC mm-hmm. just because of what that then meant for the season. Mm. It got them their first away win in over a year and it seemed to just instill such belief in the squad that they then carried that forward into that horrendous seven-game road stretch that they had. And that was without uh, Gressel, right? Yeah, which... Yeah, a precursor of things to come. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, when you think about that, he was arguably the player of the season up to that point mm -hmm. because Ryan Gold wasn't the Ryan Gold that was on the second half of the season. And they went there, they got that result playing Ryan Gold as a wing-back, which is another question I want to ask Vanny when we speak to him. Is that something he would do again? Because we saw it once, it worked well, I mean, never saw it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd think maybe they'd try it, but uh, there, I mean, there's when it comes to uh, formational variation from Vanny 
I uh, I don't know. Yeah. Also, when you've got Ryan Gold being the main guy that's contributing your assists, are you wasting him in the wing back role if you don't have anyone else that stepped up to to provide the assists? So I mean, there's there's that as well. But I mean, that's that's my game of the season just for what it meant in the grand scheme of things. But also, it was a fantastic game. It was a fantastic performance. You you've gone for a different one there. Yeah, uh, for me, I just because it was so historic. Again, I think I might have gone for the same uh, event last year. But well, I, um, I did, I think, last year as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've just gone for the Voyagers Cup victory. I, I think it was again so huge for the team. Um, they've never gone back to back in the competition, no. so um, that was huge. And again, just to show that that they were yeah tops in the nation. Uh, was was huge and so i i i can't get away from that one yeah i mean that's that's very fair that was a i was a tremendous night tremendous occasion great result put the white caps back into the the champions league or concacaf champions cup as it is now mm-hmm. and it it's it's something as long time supporters of the white caps going back to pre mls days we always valued that competition, the Canadian Championship, the Voyagers Cup, so much. And it just eluded us. And getting that first win under Robo was special. And you hoped they would push on, and then they just didn't. And now, to go back to back, just absolutely fantastic. And Vanny, I hope he's got a lot of room on his arm for getting all these extra tattoos and the dates. Because he did say the clever thing about the tattoo that he got is he can just keep adding a date underneath it every time yeah. he win another one. So that is good. Now, tied in then with your choice, let's move on to the, the Whitecaps save of the season. Yeah, because it came in that game. Yeah. I, I, I had two. We have, we have the same down. one, right? Yeah. Oh, you have two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got two written down. So my, my runner-up is very recent, October, 0-0 draw at Seattle. It's the 96th minute. Christian Roldan rises for a header. It's going in on goal and Yohei Takaoka dives to his right, tips it around the post. The Whitecaps get a, a crucial draw and it was a big save. Big, and, big you're, save. and your number one and my number one is very, very similar to that save. Yes, a header. <laughs> he dives to his right, he tips it around the post, except this one was a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> he had to really one... fly through the air acrobatically for this one. Yeah. Which was, of course. In the Voyager's Cup finale. Yes. And this one, again, in stoppage time, this time the 91st minute against Mon- Montreal. Ibrahim, great header, but Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. And you think it's goal bound. And then Takaoka just flies through the air and tips it around the post. Now, to, to give some context to, to this, they did this last year with the media as well. At the end of the game, you could either stay in the press box and watch the presentation, oh, yeah. or if you wanted, they were letting us go down actually on the pitch. Yeah. So they could just bring the players over and we could do our quick interviews and stuff with them uh, before the, the presentations, etc. So I'm at pitch level. Right. Just before stoppage time started, basically just back from the, the byline or the... Uh, sideline and I'm just watching that at that level and it's just you're like oh 
and it just it was even more spectacular i remember you saying that at the time i was next level absolutely stunning save right away i was like writing that down it's like there we go it's going to take something special to beat that for save of the year and to be fair the seattle one almost did it but no you've got to go for that one and it got me thinking uh, we've we've talked about Yohei Takaoka. He, he's had a bit of an up and down season, but on the whole, an above average season. Definitely an improvement on what we saw goalkeeper wise in twenty twenty two. If we're, I I don't really go with grades too much. I, I'd grade him a B if we're going for for grades on a an A to E or whatever. Yeah, maybe 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 that's a bit harsh. Maybe B plus. Hmm. I I was trying to think back. And I was looking at some other saves as well, and he's had a couple of crackers. There was a double save against LAFC in one of the many games, which I can't remember which one now. They all just blend into one now, but I do remember he had a double save. And then he had a penalty save against Colorado that was a good save. Yeah. And he's had a couple of other ones where he's just flown across the goal and tipped it around. He, he seems a keeper that when it comes to an acrobatic save, he's very good. He gets across his goal well. We've talked, though, about maybe some of his deficits of he maybe doesn't read the plays very well or sometimes he comes out a little bit too early and doesn't quite get to the ball. But on headers, clearly, as these were our two goals here, he seems very good at dealing with them. On the most part, though, I think there was a couple of lapses at the end of the year. He is great on distribution and has really been what Vanny wanted in terms of a keeper who can... Um, you know, not, not he's not a sweeper keeper like Ella Manuel Neuer, but he is very good with the ball at his feet and is able to distribute distribute in the ways the coaches want him to. So I think that's really one of the things that's really, really huge. Maybe your B was accurate because now they were talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, there were a number of times this year where you're like we felt he should have not stopped uh something that, that had gone in for you know different reasons. There's also the, the the little spell there where you have the I call it the smirk spell. Or I yeah. kept on smirking after a couple of not great goals, and you're like, so maybe B is fair, maybe B plus is too much. Yeah, I, th- I think a, a B rating for him is is a fair one. If we move on to goal of this season now, so I'll give you some of the contenders that immediately sprang to mind for me. Now, I've got my hipster's choice which is League 1 BC Whitecaps. Patrick Isaac, Academy product, scored at Swan Guard against TSS in a, a goal that ultimately is... You can look back at, at seasons for all teams, of course, and you can pick moments where something is what derailed your season. Now, for TSS, not beating the Highlanders in the very last game or even holding on for a draw is what cost them the Canadian Championship. But equally, not coming away with the three points in this also certainly played a part in this because it was a one-all draw between Whitecaps and TSS and Patrick Isaac scored a goal from just inside the halfway line and it was an absolute fantastic long-range effort. He saw Justin Sandu off his line, went for the lob and to be fair, I do think that Sandu should have dealt with it better. But it was a spectacular goal, but that would be my hipster's choice. If we're looking at first-team Whitecaps, these are what I've got as kind of four that really stood out for me. So you've got your stunning long ranger, 
This is just from the edge of the box, still a long ranger. Sebastian Berhalter, the 6-2 win against Houston. He scored number five in the 88th minute. Ball comes to him at the edge of the box. He chests it down. First time volley. His first MLS goal. Fantastic strike. Brian White against St. Louis, where it's the second half. Long ball forward. He nips in to knock it past the defender. Runs in on goal. Rounds the keeper. Slots it home. Fantastic goal. Then I've got two team goals. One of them, Whitecats against Austin. Pedro Viti, 28 seconds. Great build-up. Lots of passing moves. Nice ball inside to a wide-open Pedro Viti, who just ran straight in. Slotted it through the keeper's legs as well, which you always like a nice nutmeg. So that was a, that was the... One of the two, the good team goals. But the one that I've gone for, for my goal of the season, is another team goal. Because I do, I've always said in the show, I like my team goals more than the dramatic long-range strike. And it's Ali Ahmed's goal against LAFC in the last game of the regular season to make it 1-0 in the 58th minute. You had two given goals between Richie Larea and Pedro Viti up the right wing. Then Richie sends a cross in to Ali Ahmed. He's kind of going back as he meets it. Maybe not the cleanest strike, but he hit it enough to lob over the keeper into the back of the net. Whitecaps get the goal. Great team goal. And that gets my vote for Whitecaps' goal of the season. I think for me, that was one of the goals of the season, I think. Brian White against St. Louis at home where he pushes the ball past the defender and then outruns the defenders. Which yeah. I, I think it was just so... Yeah, because you were stunned by his, his I was burst just, yeah. of pace. He, I, I feel like I never... And then he did he did almost a similar thing on a through ball against LAFC in the playoffs as well. Yeah. like Those two were, I guess, two goals I didn't expect to see in terms of goals of the... In terms of goals of, of quality. I, I Maybe I'll go with the St. Louis one. I also want to give honorary mention to... Uh, uh, a headed goal from a corner that stood out for me was Sam Adekubi's uh, goal in the cup. Yeah, in the playoffs or whatever. Um, that that was that was special. I know he it's rose not, so well. It's not a spectacular goal or anything, but it was it was just really special. Yeah, and f- for Sam as well to get his first oh, goal yeah. back, and he's not a guy that and we said at the time. I don't even remember him scoring headers before. No, no. <laughs> but yeah. I, there was definitely some good goals this year. Let us know yours as well, if you've got a different one or who would get your vote for like game of the season, goal of the season, save of the season. AFTN Canada on Twitter, AFTN Canada at hotmail.com. When are we getting to the villain line? Like eight shows from now? What are we doing? Probably two or three shows time. We're going to do an interview with a referee. Maybe like, save that for our villain of the year award yeah, episode. What it's not Tim Ford, in case anyone gets excited. He he what, didn't what level our calls. Local. Oh, okay. Just a chance to chat about a few things. That'd be nice. Yeah, chat about abuse at the gate. I also said it's contingent on them coming on and explaining what the fuck the handball is real now for me. <laughs> While we're on this tangent, I know you've been watching the U17 World Cup. Yes. It's disturbing to see how these young players are mimicking some of their older counterparts in treating the referee. Like some yeah. of the, some of the treatment of the referee, I've just been like, Oh man, with the U 17 world cup, like do these, do these young players not understand respect? Uh, it, it, it really, 
I mean, to me, this is a not only, but this is a thing that FIFA can do something about, right? Like I've said before, uh, you know, for a long time that some of the ills of the game are things that FIFA can control, like simulation. And to, and, to, and I guess you could say to their credit, um, you know, something like VAR has helped with that. Um, not totally stamped it out, but has definitely helped, uh, or at least helped with in certain scenarios, like where someone's going to get sent off or whatever. They they could it's something that they could totally they could totally transform within the game if they really wanted to if they wanted it to be like the egg chasing or whatever they could make it that way. And well, I, the, the way I don't to do know. it is if you're crowded, you just hand out yellow cars to every single player. That's yeah, that, that's to, that's totally one that's the one way to do it. But I mean. I th- I think it's bigger than that. I think it really needs a. I think it hurts the game. Like I I don't I don't see any upside to it whatsoever, and especially now with VAR and all these big things, you crowd the referee and it's like, give them a break. Like yeah, there's, other, there's someone in their ear that's going to tell them you know it was offside or not or whatever. Or I mean, and obviously obviously we'll talk about. Yeah, oh, we're, we're coming up to the MLS you, games. You, you can get, yeah, you screw those things up too. In one of the games, which I think I know what one it might have been, but I remember just seeing the referee counting and showing the players, look, there's five of you around me just now, so that's not on because that's yeah. your ma- mass confrontation. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. Anyways, I've just been. I haven't watched every game. I've watched uh, no, but it's, a little bit, but I mean, you see it every single. And, you, and you even so, I'll give you an example: the Germany Spain game, the penalty. It's clearly a penalty. You can see in the player's reaction; he knows he should not have stuck out his leg. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, he's like, "Oh, ref, he he, he stuck his he stuck his leg back to get caught." And he's like, and then a, like a whole bunch, like a, a small swarm of players go around the referee and like you know, it's just like it's not needed. Like it's no. Shouldn't be a part of. I don't know. It's a part of the game that we that could, like I said, could be remo- removed quite easily. Yeah, what they do in the rugby is excellent, but the respect as well. And we've spoken about this in the show before that rugby referees get. It's it's just a completely different mindset. And I and I don't know the, what the complete answer is. I don't know if you if you do a, a, a they do a thing where they say, look, we want to change it. We want to be like rugby, or you say, look. Our goal is to be like rugby. Therefore, we're going to start handing out yellow cards for people who uh, abuse the referee verbally or who crowd crowd them or whatever. Right? Like, I don't know if it's like if it's like, hey, if I don't know if they do it in an emotional way or like a a relational way, like say, hey, help us make the game better, or they do they just say we're gonna we're gonna because we know you can't do this on your own, we're going to break up the stick that is the yellow card or red cards and whatever and start dishing them out, right? But I don't see it changing anytime soon. But it is interesting, as you say, because the younger guys mirror what the oh, senior yeah. older guys doing. It's been a real disappointment in the games I've seen. I think, I think it's been a part of every game. I'm well, just like, the, the simulation as well that we've seen from some of these young guys is just like something else as well. Yeah. Which is equally uh, uh, as disappointing. Talking of disappointments, our last Whitecaps award, we'll just quickly get into it, is Biggest Disappointment oh, yeah. of the oh, Year. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah. Sergio Cordova. We don't have to say too much more about that, I don't think. <laughs> well, I'm just, I was just really disappointed because he's a player that, come, uh, that has, has spent time in the Bundesliga, yeah. has shown that he uh, can be a, a respectable goal scorer in MLS. 
And I thought it was a good move by by Axel. Uh, I thought, if I'm remembering correctly, I thought all the the costs involved seemed reasonable. Yeah. Um, and it's just unfortunate that it hasn't worked out. But we touched on this in the show last week as well. So he's gone to Turkey now where he's got one goal and eight. So mm. his confidence just must be... Yeah, right. he's not he's not in form, yeah. No, which is a shame for him. But mm. yeah, so that, that was our Whitecaps Award. So we're talking about referees there. And we're, of course, joking about our villain of the year who... I mean, no spoilers if it if it goes to a man called Timothy, who incidentally was back at it. Tim Ford in the MLS playoffs was in the VAR for the Orlando Columbus game, and he he has to be video reviewed because I believe his his red and yellow cars haven't dried out yet. Not quite <laughs> sure what happened, but apparently they got a little bit wet when he was last year in Vancouver. <laughs> oh my god! But. Well, Oh man! But so yeah, all that dries out, which could have been in the Orlando heat, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll well, help. Yeah. So, you know, in all seriousness, though, is that is it a demotion? Demotion? Like, will he get no. paid less? Will he get yeah. paid less doing VAR? Um, I would he think. Must. I would think he'd get paid less for yeah, okay. for VAR. So it is. It, he didn't get. There was. He went without any games, right? For uh, well, I. I mean, I. I was being facetious on Twitter earlier when he didn't get any of the the games after the Whitecaps thing but there was only three games and there's obviously a lot of refs so they rotate them so this time there was only four games be interesting to see though if he does actually get to to do an actual game as the man in the middle for the the rest of the season i think everyone would be a little surprised about that I, i think they'd be very surprised but let us just round off the football chat in this part with a look at the mls playoffs the two eastern semi-finals took place on Saturday and Felipe and me were talking about this last week the huge gap between the best of three games wrapping up in these semis killed my enthusiasm for it and I almost forgot about the games yesterday yeah I heard that from a few people being like oh I didn't even remember this was still happening um I think for me, I yeah, I didn't remember because I I've been out of town for work all weekend, yeah. and I knew I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch them live anyway. So I would say this: they were quite actually interesting games. Yeah, and I, think, I think the fact that they were, uh, you know, one-offs helped to to an extent. The Orlando Columbus game went to extra time, and it was nil nil after the the ninety minutes. Now, when I was watching the first half. I was like, oh, this feels like it's going to be nil-nil. So I took the gamble of taking the dog out for a 45-minute walk, came back, and it was still nil-nil with half an hour to go. It oh felt God. like there wasn't going to be goals at that point. Schlegel got sent off for Orlando. It was, was, that uh, goal? was that before the goal? Yeah, it was the 77th minute. So oh, he, yeah. got, he got sent off before the end of normal time. Now, by this point, Columbus, I thought Columbus were the better team. Yeah. But Orlando then started to play some nice stuff. Yes, they did. And they almost won it. And with the last kick, basically, of regulation time, Martin Ojeda came within inches of winning it for Orlando six minutes into stoppage time. And you felt that was going to be their their best chance. So the game headed to extra time. Christian Ramirez puts Columbus in a 93rd minute lead. A goal from about a a yard out. But then Orlando had their chances after that. They did. I thought I thought they might get a foul call on the goal on the build up. The Orlando, I forget his name, the number five. I thought 
uh, when he got stripped of the ball there, I thought maybe maybe that would get called. But then, but you're, right, but you're right. Orlando Orlando could have easily equalized. Yeah, they they were pushing maybe a little bit too much because. I have no idea, really, why Pedro Galese is so far out of his box for that second goal. He's basically near the halfway line in the centre circle. Well, yeah, because and because it's not like it's the last minute of play. It's like there's still at least a couple of minutes to play after this. Yeah. After the, that win, yeah. It was it, weird. Cucho gets the goal, but instead of him then tracking back, he goes towards Cucho. Yeah. He just has to round him and it's an empty net and he tucks it away. Yeah, from just inside the center circle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it was interesting. it was interesting but there's a there's more there's one more interesting thing to me about this game. Uh and I know I think we talked about this when this was kind of happening uh a number of weeks ago. I can't remember how long. Is the 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 continued rise of Mo Farsi. Oh, and, yeah. And and the fact that Gressel was an, yet again an unused substitute. Yeah, that was actually <laughs> something else I was going to mention about that. Because we, we do we, we have a longer it. discussion with this? Yeah. No, we, we well we had a chat about Gressel last week. Um oh, okay. Felipe and me on the show. So we haven't chatted about it on the show. But first of all, Mo Farsi, he has come on leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. Former Cavalry FC player and chose to go to MLS Next Pro in Columbus. Yeah, he bet made, himself. Made, he bet himself for real, and he made the made the breakthrough. And Nancy's rewarded him. Now he is. It also some of the chances in this game were also I don't know if you noticed were um, created by his dodgy center back partner Rudy Camacho. Yes. <laughs> I still can't believe Camacho's. I can't believe Nancy brought him there. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about this? Is this? Do you think this is solely like, hey, he knows, or a significant part of his, he knows he's not back next year, so he's just like. Well, he wasn't happy when he got he got pulled off in the second of the best of three games. Right. So then he didn't start in the third of the best of three games, and it's obviously carried on. So whatever's happened between him and Nancy, Nancy's like, yeah, I'm not putting up with that shit. Yeah, and I because we we know he's not back, right? Essentially, like he's not the. I mean, he if he wanted word. to, he could be, but I think he's clearly got his sights on something else. Well, yeah, that that ship seems to have sailed. Yeah, I I think this is the end of it now. He was so good here; he was in line for my Whitecaps Player of the Year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was just having such an amazing season. So, I mean, it's just, you have to think he is going to be away, but maybe an MLS Cup win can win him around. But it does seem that he's got some bridges to to build with Wilfred Nancy anyway. Yeah. The one thing we do know about the MLS Cup is the final is going to be held in the East because mm-hmm. of placement. So Columbus booked their berth in the Eastern Conference final. Who were they going to play? Oh, yeah. Was it going to be the number one ranked FC Cincinnati or was it going to be Philadelphia Union? And I've spoken a lot on the show. I like Jim Curtin. I think he's a great manager. I like what he's done with Philly. And there's a couple of incidents in the game. I, I I didn't really mind who won this. I was hoping it was going to be a good game of football. Because you, you only watched the highlights. So yeah, I've only watched the highlights since I've been holding this one. Did they show in the highlights Mascara's embellishment? I don't believe so. Right. Interesting. Because after this happened, which was... Yeah, it was in the second half. Can't remember exactly when, but it's in the second half. So Mosquera 
had been having quite the battle with uh, Philadelphia striker Julian Carranza for much mm-hmm. of the game. So the ball had gone out, I think, for a corner. It might have been a throw-in. So Carranza's walking away, and Mascara goes right up behind him and gives him a shove in the back. He just puts his arm up just a little bit and maybe makes slight contact with the guy's chest. And Mascara goes down holding his face, writhing about the trainers on and everything. And it's not looked at, there's no yellow card, nothing. And it was the it was so blatantly embellished, it was embarrassing. Like I hope he watches it back and feels ashamed because it was one of the worst ones that you'll see this year. There was hardly th- any contact and it was nowhere near his face. I think he slept well this weekend, though. Because that was the thing. The, he scored the match winner. <laughs> because he scored the match winner, and after he scored it, I had a tweet all ready to go, because I, re- I I tweeted about uh, the embellishment was terrible and um, he should be ashamed, blah, blah, blah. So I had done a quote tweet, tweet, and I was like, karma's a bitch after his goal gets ruled out. And I was just waiting to hit send... And then the goal didn't get ruled out. Inexplicably. Inexplicably, indeed. It, it, it's crazy. I don't understand how this is not called back. Like, it's it's so offside. Like, I, well, there's I a believe- few issues with this because the commentary kept... Well, again, I don't know if this was in the highlights for you, but the, the, after the game, the commentary said, we've heard from VAR that there's a definitive angle from the camera at the 18-yard line. Oh, yeah, I heard But they never showed that angle. But the one they do show is clear. Yeah. It's because they don't draw the lines, and because it's not given on the pitch, it's not clear and obvious in, to them to overturn it. Now, this is one of the issues I have. It's not been given on the pitch. We keep getting told linesmen are told to keep their flag down unless yeah. they're sure. Yeah. So if the linesman's not sure and he's not going to put his flag up at such a huge moment, and then you're saying, well, it wasn't given on the pitch, so we can't overturn it. That's ridiculous, yeah. But, I mean, to me, I don't see how in any way, shape, or form, you you look at how the grass is cut. I I can't see how that's not offside. Well, the only thing is the... The arm of the defender is up, but in 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 in. Uh, well, they were trying to argue that his bicep had played him on. No, but that's the thing. But in the Bundes, like in the Bundesliga, when they where they do draw lines and they show you the lines and where they drew them, it would have been. It's like from the armpit, I believe. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It looks completely offside to me. Now, I I would have rather Cincinnati won this. And set up the uh, Ohio Derby for the the semifinal. Yeah, I mean that that but, is but amazing. About the play, it's <laughs> about the play itself, though. It's actually quite a quite a nice play in terms. Yeah, of, Murphy does well to rise and head it down. So I mean, you can't no, put no, any fault on Murphy because it's no, like but, he just did his job. But even before that, the whole free kick and then switching play, you know, with uh, yeah Luciano Acosta, who wouldn't want that guy on your team, uh, and him putting the ball across to is it uh, Burial? Number the number thirty one, the left sided guy, puts in the beautiful cross. So it's like they've totally shifted the defense, right? So Philadelphia is kind of like out of sorts a bit, which leads partly what leads to Murphy getting the free header and uh, and Mascara, Mascara being wide open. open. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's not like uh, ingenious or or it's not rocket science, but it's 
Yeah, it was obviously it was definitive in the match. Yeah, I I felt for Andre Blake because he'd had such a strong game. He'd we were talking such a strong about week. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, because Low Damien Low was in the team as well. Who was on a yellow card from twelve minutes in and oh, did yeah. well to stay on the pitch by the end of it. But Blake had produced a couple of huge saves, and he goes back to it's a tough job just to pick one goalkeeper for your your team of the week. But ah, Jim Curtin said afterwards that the feeling on the Philly bench, they'd looked at it and they were like, oh, it's okay, don't worry, it's getting called back. Oh, yeah. So they hadn't even got a sub ready or anything. That's crazy. And then it, the longer it went on, you start to think, oh, what are, what are they looking at here? Because it seemed like such an obvious quick call that was going to get ruled out. I could not believe it was not called back. But that sets up the the All Ohio Eastern Conference final. That's going to be a tremendous occasion. Hopefully, there's a good allocation for the Columbus fans as well. Yeah, it should be a brilliant uh, day. Sunday saw the two Western Conference semifinals, and first up was Houston, Kansas City, and more refereeing controversy in this one as well. Now, I would say Houston came away with a one 0 win, and the, in the overall balance of play, they deserved it. They were the far better team. Took, took the lead, Escobar, 39th minute, it was coming, they did deserve it. But seconds later, yeah, should Kansas City have had a chance to get a penalty for the equaliser? Well, it would have been penalty in sending off, would it not? Well, that's what I was wondering as well, because there is the the rule about... Oh, Double jeopardy? Do, yeah. And I was like... You know, no, the handball. It no. wasn't a deliberate handball, because you can see him trying to bring his arm... Away, I know. I, I think that, I think that's more the ball hitting his arm that makes well, it look like that's, going away. That's the thing. When I first saw it live, I thought, "Oh, that's a penalty." Then I saw the first replay, and I was like, "Oh no, that hits him in the chest." No, oh, no. But then you see other replays, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, the ball's pushing his arm backwards," or that's yeah. how it looks. Yeah, there's a, a, a nice little Canadian involvement in this one as well, as. I'm going to forget her first name, but Schwinard was the yes. was the VAR official. And I still have horrible memories of her doing Whitecaps Canadian Championship games back in the day, or uh, USL Championship matches. That's uh, you know sending off Marty Nash. Remember? Do you remember that? Maybe and that's what I was thinking of. Actually, <laughs> 2009 against Montreal. That you must oh, be thinking sorry. of. Carol Ann Schwinard. Caroline, there I had to look it up because it was annoying me. Yeah, Caroline Chenard. The, the assistant referee in this one is Ian McKay, who got the assistant referee of the year in the MLS awards. And I only know that because I voted for him because he sounded Scottish. Because I had no idea who the four <laughs> nominees were. I was like, okay, he sounds Scottish, so let's vote for him. How did Tim Ford do? Didn't, didn't get shortlisted. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I'm sure he'll win some awards before the year's out. <laughs> to me, I'm sorry. It's a it's a clear and obvious handball. Should be a penalty, and I would say, unless my understanding is a little bit off of the laws of the game, it should also be a sending off. Like I, I, I know, I, I know his hand would have been harsh. His his but... hand position isn't heinous, but his hand stops the ball from going into the net, mm-hmm. and that's what the, that's why you have these rules. That's why you have our. Um, it was it was it was comical that that was not. I, 
I genuinely don't know the handball rule anymore. I know I was joking earlier about a referee coming on to to explain it, but yeah. I want to read you the quote from Peter Vermees after the game. So it says, but it's not a hard decision to make on the call when you have replay. When a player kind of picks his arm up to make himself a little bit bigger, even if his hands are out to the side, it doesn't matter. He saves the ball with his hand. Normally speaking, a player will put his hands behind his back. His hands are to the side and up a little bit on the left. I've seen the replay. There's no doubt in my mind it's a handball. Actually, it's a handball and then a red card because it stopped a goal-scoring opportunity. But unfortunately, they didn't call it. I commend our guys who have put up with everything, etc., etc. And then he gets asked if he got an explanation as why it didn't go to VAR, which I was like, I thought it had gone to VAR. And it said, well, they're going to say they did look at it, and then they'll say that the VAR person said that they didn't need to check it, which, again, how? I have no idea. This is Vermees saying this? Yeah. Yeah, oh, you should have, uh, I mean, they, they showed in the highlights even, or no, I watched this, I watched this back on TSN, this part, uh, and it wasn't in the highlights, it was on TSN. The, he's, <laughs> he's he, his, his comments, so he was just like, he, yeah, he dropped an F bomb towards yeah, the yes, camera. He did. He did. Oh, yeah. they kept that in the highlights. Nice. <laughs> no, no, that was not highlights. That was the oh. TSN. Oh, because I was going. I was going to um, say that was one of my highlights from the game. But no, he. It, it's yeah. It is to me so clear and obvious, and I haven't always agreed with Peter Vermeers, but I fully do in this case. Yeah, and it. Houston were the better team, and I think they did deserve to go through. But it's just again, you've you've got VAR to stop these things being the the controversial moments in games. And now we've had two of the semis yeah. that, that's had this. Ruined by it, yeah. I, I feel I feel like Caroline dropped the ball on this. Yeah. The last semi-final, down in Seattle, hearing all the Seattle fans so irate at the referee was just music to my ears. Was, I, heard, I heard about this, some people saying the referee was biased towards LAFC. I would say, like, I, I don't think he was biased, but, LAFC certainly got more calls than Seattle did, and ones that you could see maybe go either way. But not there was nothing definitive, right? There was no like game changing. <sighs> no, there was nothing definitive, and I mean ultimately it was a good goal, Denny Buanga, and yeah. it was a great it, goal. Yeah, it's like you think, oh, he's going to center it, but he just goes for goal, and he did it, in stoppage time. Oh, LA yeah, yeah. had a, a break. Yeah. And he should have played should it inside, have, yeah. but he selfishly went for it. Which, when you're the golden boot winner, yeah, can't knock him too much. But, but I did. Th- I was like, oh, that's going to come back and haunt them. And then he gets a yellow card for tugging, I think, Ladero back. Oh, no, a little, little shoving Ladero's back, who went down so easily. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, I think the man of the match performance in this game is one, one Maxime Kripo. Yeah, Max you, was outstanding. He has proven that he is an upgrade on their keeping situation from, from a couple of years ago. Because, yes. I mean, with him, they get to the final, and you, you can argue he helps them win the final, and then he recovers from that. <laughs> and he's kind of picking up where he left off, and... I mean, I know I've heard 
you know, from Canadians, a lot of them are like, this is another reason why he deserves to be starting the game in March. Yeah, he, he most certainly should be the number one. I think this game showed the quality that he's got. And I know Whitecaps fans hate him. Hopefully, I mean, because I, I tweeted out he should be Canada's number one. And folk are like, I can't cheer from him. But others are like, I won't cheer for him when he's playing against the Whitecaps, but if he's wearing a Canadian jersey, I'll cheer for him. And you'd hope that would be the case. But, I mean, the future is Sinclair and Cripo, you would hope. He was brilliant tonight. That save to deny Morris in the opening minutes oh. was the game-changing situation yeah. right there. Seattle yeah. go ahead... And it's like they're a tough team. They don't give us up very often. There was two really big saves in the first half. Yeah. In the, in the first half. That yeah. was one of them. But that, that one off Morris was just something special because it's like. Oh, because that's, that's the one where he, Morris runs past Chiellini, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah Chiellini yeah. was struggling in the early going. Yes. Because the commentators were really surprised that they went with him instead of Aaron Long because it was a, a turf pitch. Yeah. And then I don't know if the highlights showed Chiellini coming off with the blood all over his knees. No. Oh, man. His, he had two huge cuts on his knee from obviously going down on the turf. He had to get it all bandaged up because it was bleeding. But yeah. So LAFC through to the final. They'll play Houston at LA. You've got to feel, especially with Houston's away form as well. LA look favourites to make it back-to-back Western titles and get to the MLS Cup. I think it's a toss-up, though, in the other one. And I I just think Columbus are going to do it. Yeah, I don't think it would be that shocking if Columbus did it. The, the weapons they have and the depth they have. I mean, you saw, what was his name coming off the bench there today? Well, there a couple guys coming off the bench. Molino, Kevin Molino. Oh, yeah, veteran. Yeah, so they have, um, they brought in Kevin Molino, Ramirez, of course, who scored, and then uh, even uh, Russell Rowe. Uh, Jay yeah, Russell Rowe. another Canadian. Yeah, um, and then they have Bush as their backup, <laughs> the unused Gressel. I mean, they have they have uh, like significant depth because their starting lineup is really really strong. I do wonder if Montreal fans watch like that team play and are like, oh, if only we could have kept him, Wilfred mm-hmm. Nancy. It's like he's got that team playing so much better and just some lovely football. Yeah. Anyway, that is it for our MLS chat. That is it for the football chat. We've still got this episode's wavelength to round things off and we're going back to a song that was released in the summer, Down Under. It's an Australian band, The Curls. We're playing this, of course, because Canada are about to play Australia, but this is a four-track EP all about women's soccer. We played one of their songs earlier in Wavelength about Australian player Steph Catley, who is one of the players I'm hoping to chat to for the show I want to ask her if she's heard that song and if not I will be playing it to her but she can't wait for that but anyway the curls are the band and this is another song and it's about the Dutch goalkeeper Daphne Vormedosselaar she currently plays for Aston Villa here's their song about her Yeah. 
The Curls, Daphne Van Domselaar. Check out that EP on curls4.bandcamp.com. There's four songs all about women's football. That is it, though, for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Zach, any final thoughts from you? Anything funny caught your eye this week? So, yeah, huge shout-out to uh, David Norman the Sixth on his uh, massive uh, cup win in Ireland. Really happy for him. Um, so, huge shout-out to him. And I can't remember how long his deal is supposed to be there for or what's next for him because um, obviously his last deal was a short-term one. And this one, he signed. He joined them midway through their season. So yeah, joined from Northampton. He's made he made eight appearances for them altogether. Yeah, I'm really, really, really happy for him. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. As always, read our stuff AFTN.ca. Check out all our videos on YouTube, and please subscribe to the channel. We need to get to a thousand. I'm just a whale off it, but we we would like to get to a thousand subscribers so we can start making money on our YouTube videos. And of course, like, subscribe, leave nice comments about us on wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the Caps and Ali Le Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.